Blog Talk Radio. Round one. Fight, 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 fight. Welcome back to the balance, or welcome to the balance. Uh, my name is Sal Mark Wassell, Presidente. So glad that you could join us on a wet and cold uh, Saturday morning here in Indianapolis, where we flagship from right here, high atop the balance studio in Indianapolis, Indiana. Got a little bit of a late start today, but that's okay. Thanks to modern technology and their updates and all of that stuff, sometimes things just get delayed and are beyond your control. We've got a great show on tap for you today. We're going to be talking some really breaking news coming out of NASCAR yesterday. You may have heard about it. Uh, we're going to be uh, talking it in great detail. Uh, we're st- uh, standing by for Matt Embry from openwheel.com, uh, and also Tyson will be joining us from onpitroad.com to help us break down that breaking news. Also, NASCAR is going to be crowning their champion this weekend. Uh, last night, <clears throat> The Camping World Truck Series crowned their champion, uh, so we are uh, excited to talk with Tyson and Matt Embry about that. And then up at the top of the hour, we're going to break down some NFL action. This Jerry Jones and uh, Roger Cadell saga just never seems to end. I wish it would end. I wish it would end, but we'll talk to Ed Kratz, our official uh, NFL contributor, obviously beat writer for the Philadelphia Eagles and USA Today, uh, is going to join us and help us break down all the action in the NFL. And I promise you, we'll talk about some action in the NFL. Rick Riggin joins us today also uh, to break down the NCAA football action. Notre Dame out. Got hit by a hurricane last weekend. You may have saw that. and got total, total, total schooled and destroyed so we'll talk about that of course the last segment of the day always uh, mo from the bs sports show joins us and we'll talk about betting against the spread and well we just kind of sit around and bs about sports my name is Sal mark westell presidente we'll be right back with tyson and matt Embry right here on the balance radio network Bobby, you're here again. Yeah, my doctor told me to reduce stress at work, so I come to Buffalo Wild Wings to eat lunch and watch sports. I get to pick one of seven entrees, like sandwiches and salads, plus one of seven sides. Well, I like sides. It's so affordable, I can finally take a vacation. Where are you going to go? Here, Tim, here. Introducing the new B-Dub Fast Break Lunch Menu, starting at a new low price. Dine-in or order takeout weekdays between 11 and 2. Participation and availability may vary. Buffalo Wild Wings. Wings, beer, sports. 
It's double trouble, double the fun. At African Safari Wildlife Park in Port Clinton, Ohio, see the largest antelope on Earth, the giant eland, and the ugliest creature on Earth, the African warthog. There's so much to see and do, including the Midwest's only drive through safari. Feed the animals. See live educational shows. Feel the excitement. Have your picture taken with a python or cockatoo. Feel the adventure. Shop the Simba Lodge gift shop with items available from around the globe. Visit the snack bar or picnic facilities. Enjoy a pony or camel ride. Or cheer your favorite porker on to victory in the famous Pork Chop Down. Bring your family to see the rare and exotic animals at African Safari Wildlife Park in Portland, Ohio. Just take Route 2 to the Route 53 North exit and follow the sign. Only 17 miles west of Cedar Point via Route 6. Open every day, rain or shine. Welcome back to The Balance. My name is, uh, I don't even know my name anymore. It's all Mark Russell, Presidente. I am still week three uh, fighting this bronchial stuff. But the good thing about it is I think that it's on the tail end of it all. I, you know, I know you all like to keep up with the goings-ons with all of the uh, bodily fluid within my body. <laughs> Joining us, though, Tyson Lautenschlager from OnPitRoad.com, uh, one of our official NASCAR uh, contributors. Uh, we were are efforting, uh, to, as they say in the biz, uh, to uh, get Matt Embry on. He is scheduled to join us to talk about the breaking news uh, coming out of uh, NASCAR. Well, and IndyCar both uh, share the same story. So we're going to talk about that here with Tyson and, of course, NASCAR. NASCAR uh, talks about their champion. So as we're as we're alluding to or teasing to, Danica Patrick uh, uh, pulls a rabbit out of her hat and actually surprised all of us, and certainly everybody in the business and uh, that covered the sport like we do, uh, didn't really see this coming. Although we have talked about it on this show and said, "Hey, uh, when Danica uh, retires, she's going to walk away, kind of do her own thing." Or do you think she's going to come back to IndyCar to try to become more uh, relative or relevant, if you will? Uh, that's the word I'm looking for. And, uh, and so we, we thought, well, probably won't come back to IndyCar. And uh, we heard yesterday uh, from uh, Doug Bowles, president and general manager of the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, uh, it, kind of when you read into the text there, Tyson, kind of sounded like he was even shocked that uh, Danica decided to make her final uh, run, if you will, uh, and end her career where she started it at in IndyCar at the Indianapolis 500 in 2018. She'll be doing the double, uh, the NASCAR and IndyCar, and I believe the first female to ever attempt the double, uh, the NASCAR race and the Indianapolis 500 in May. Uh, what say you, uh, Tyson? Well, I think, um, first of all, it was definitely a big shock when, when Danica um, announced that she was going to retire from full-time driving. Um, she had a press conference scheduled at Homestead yesterday, and uh, the rumors kind of started swirling at about 9.30, 10 a.m. that uh, something was kind of up with this announcement and that she probably would be uh, announcing her retirement. Uh, and and we, we were kind of still surprised, though, because um, looking back at this, I think a lot of people thought she was – 
probably not going to get a full-time ride in NASCAR and that she was probably going to just kind of ride off into the sunset and, and that would be it. Um, but now we're going to see her at least uh, once more in the Daytona 500 and, and again in the Indianapolis 500 in May, which is a, kind of a, a really nice way of getting to finish things on her own terms, which we don't get to see um, very often from uh, racers when they when they essentially leave the sport that they're in. We're, we're kind of seeing uh, Matt Kenseth isn't going out on his own terms right now, and um, you can kind of argue that Dale Earnhardt Jr. isn't really getting to go out on his own terms either because of uh, an injury sort of forcing him out in a way. Um, but Danica kind of being forced out by sponsorship is going to at least get to do two more starts and races that she truly loves. So it's kind of nice to see uh, that she kind of gets to end her um, end her career racing two of the biggest races in the world. Well, absolutely. And as I, as I uh, mentioned to in my opening dialogue there, uh, certainly this is it's full circle for her as far as professional racing career. I know that she did a lot of different other types of racing uh, before she made uh, the, the big big name, if you will, that we know her to be. But certainly IndyCar is where she started at, and I think it's only fitting that she does end uh, her career uh, at Indianapolis in an IndyCar. Now let's talk about the challenges of that. And as we saw and as we know, that is very, very challenging and there's been drivers who have tempted to do the the double on indianapolis 500 and in the coca-cola i believe it's the coca-cola 500 or 600 in charlotte uh they basically uh, run the race here in indianapolis get it in a helicopter uh get fill, filled with fluids and head down to nascar and uh, get in their car in nascar so it, it provides some challenging as far as qualification goes for both races it also uh provides some challenges at just the the immense drain on the body itself and uh, you know it can it can be very very tiresome and a lot of times uh medical staff say you know it's probably not a good idea to to do this so there is a lot of challenges that come in with this but danica uh certainly to be the first female to 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 attempt this i think says a lot for her uh and uh for what for, for the impact that she's made in racing uh no we should clarify um just a little bit she isn't necessarily doing the, the double in the traditional sense. The traditional double is doing the, the Indy 500 and the Coke 600 on the same day. She, she won't be doing the Coca-Cola 600 next year. It'll be oh, um, okay. just the Daytona 500 and the Indy 500. But I think doing those two races in the same year is in itself very challenging. And going, uh, going back and doing the Indy 500 after being away for about, what, seven or eight years is going to also be extremely challenging. She made a, a joke in the press conference uh, yesterday that she's probably going to have to go through rookie orientation again, which while she was joking when she said that, she probably will because we see oftentimes a driver when they're away from this race um, for many years, IndyCar does make them do that extra day to get reacclimated with the car and the track. Um, we saw Jay Howard have to go through that this year after he had been away from the Indy 500 for about five years. So, uh, Danica probably will have to do that rookie orientation program again, and and we'll see if she really can just slip back into it and and be uh, the same Danica that she was in the Indy 500 um, seven years ago. If she can do that again, and honestly, I think she can. I think it's going to be a little bit challenging at first, um, but I think she'll she'll get back into it pretty quickly. And I think having that rookie orientation it, it allows her to get extra laps on the track and get an extra day on the track. Um, I think she'll be 
a little bit more um, she'll have a bit of a bit more of an advantage heading into the 500, uh, especially depending on what team well, she she decides to drive for. Well, absolutely, and you know, and thanks for clarifying that. For some reason, in my notes, I had it backwards. I thought that she was going to be doing the double, so that is my fault. And thank you for uh, making that clarification for myself and our listeners. Uh, you know, here's the thing: we like to make fun of Danica. We've certainly made our share of fun uh, of her on the show, but you gotta you gotta give her uh, uh, acclimates where acclimates are due. Uh, you know, a lot of you might joke about her never winning a race, and you might joke about her just being eye candy at the at the track, which both of those are true, but however, she she does have a passion for races. She has a passion for the sport, and, and it is uh, what. Well, of course, you'll probably have to do rookie orientation at IndyCar. Let's think about how the IndyCar itself has changed over the years since the last time she was in an IndyCar. It's a completely different car, and uh, you know, in, uh, Indianapolis Motor Speedway is no joke. And uh, it's it's certainly you have to sh- go into Indianapolis Motor Speedway and show it respect, or it will force you to show it respect. And uh, as we've seen uh, at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, uh, it can really come to bite you and ruin a racer's day if they aren't careful. So it would not surprise me in the least if IndyCar says, Danica, you've got to go through that extra day and to do some uh, uh, training. So, well, either which way, it's going to be exciting to see her uh, here in Indianapolis in May. I don't know that it's as big and breaking news uh, for us as uh, Fernando Alonso was last year. I don't see that. know that we'll see the craziness that we saw with him last year here, but certainly it'll be good and fitting to see Danica uh, end her career here at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. And rumor has it also she's in negotiations with NBC to be in the broadcast booth. So like we see oftentimes when they retire, they don't always retire from the racing circuit itself, more for, so from the car. Tyson, before we get into the Camping World Truck Series Championship last week, I mean last night, I'm sorry, and then this weekend, uh, the champion of Xfinity and the Monster Energy NASCAR Series, any final thoughts that you have on Danica Patrick, her, her career, and racing the Indianapolis 500 in 2018? Yeah, I think you, you mentioned it with the passion earlier, and you could see that passion in the press conference, if, if you watched it, uh, as right as she announced her retirement from, from full, full-time racing, she broke into tears. She uh, is obviously someone who has loved racing her whole life, and it's, um, it is really kind of heartbreaking to see it being ripped away from her. But uh, I am really glad for her that she's going to get to, to do these last two races and, and maybe prove that, that she is a true and true racer. And and go out there and run well in both the Daytona 500 and the Indianapolis 500. Because if she can do, uh, if she can do that and run well in both races in the same year, two totally different races, two totally different cars, I think that would be a, a great way to end her career. Uh, absolutely, and and we'll certainly uh, be following her next chapter uh, as as it begins to unfold. But certainly, a big news down in Homestead, Florida, Miami, underneath the lights, uh, uh, Christopher Bell gets the Hoiston Camping World Truck Series uh, champion. He is your 2017 Camping World Truck Series. Not a really a big surprise there, but certainly not. I don't know that he would be the one that we had. Uh, picked to be the champion, but certainly uh, well-deserved, and congratulations to uh, Christopher Bell. Yeah, over uh, the the last few weeks, I had kind of changed my championship pick from Chris Bell to Johnny Sauter, just because Sauter had been running 
so well the the, the last few weeks. He, he won the last two races before Homestead at uh, Texas and Phoenix. And, and Christopher Bell, he was prone to making mistakes, but last night he didn't make those mistakes. And he was honestly the best driver throughout the, the course of the season, so definitely the deserving champion. And um, he'll be moving up to the Xfinity Series next year to run full-time for Joe Gibbs Racing, and he's even got another race later today running the Xfinity race. So uh, really deserving champion in Chris Bell. Um, he, got to, he finished second in the race to uh, Chase Briscoe, a really good friend of his. They grew up racing together, racing uh, open-wheel sp- uh, sprint cars and, and doing dirt um, racing basically their entire career. So it was really fitting to see uh, Briscoe get his first career win uh, in the race that Christopher Bell won the championship. Absolutely. And you, you got to know that Kyle Busch is uh, one happy, uh, 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 well, I would say Papa, but he's not his dad, but he's, he's certainly the owner of Kyle Busch uh, Motorsports. And, and, uh, and certainly I'm sure it means a lot for Kyle Busch Motorsports to have a second driver championship now in hand. Got to tip your hat to Kyle Busch Motorsports. Yeah, KBM, they have uh, really had a knack at, at getting some of these really fantastic drivers on this team. Um, when you think of the drivers that they've gotten over the years, starting with Eric Jones being uh, their most successful to date, and now Christopher Bell looking to challenge that and be just as successful, and he, he definitely has the potential to do that. You also look at the guys that he's got currently in, in, his, uh, in his team. He's got Todd Gilliland, who's been fantastic in the K&N series. He's got believe like 16 wins in the K&M West series over just two years, really. And uh, Harrison Burton, also the, the son of uh, Jeff Burton, um, doing extremely well in the K&M series. He won the K&M East Championship this year. Uh, Kyle has a knack for picking out these really talented drivers and getting them on his team, getting uh, them on, on Toyota uh, in Toyota equipment. So I think Kyle... It, he stays in this truck series long term you know this two championships he has it's, it's going to get higher and higher well well absolutely and i i, I tell you what you, you, you nailed it on the head there kyle bush really does have a knack of finding young drivers and you know him uh so let me ask you this and uh we'll, we'll kind of go into the xfinity series brad Kolaski's shutting down his truck series why can't a a, a a owner driver like Kyle Busch make it work an owner driver like uh, Brad Koloski, both champions, both uh, very well respected in the racing industry. Why can one make it work and why can't one, the other one make it work? Well, I don't think it's uh, that one can make it work and one can't because Brad has made it work over the last uh, several years. I mean, his driver won the race last night and he had another driver fighting for the championship. Uh, the problem is both, and Kyle Busch would probably attest to this as well, both drivers are losing a ton of money by owning their teams. It's uh, very expensive. Uh, I think Brad estimated that he loses about a million dollars each year just by owning this team. So shutting down, and, and they've got full sponsorship, by the way. So shutting down isn't uh, isn't about performance of the team because the team has frankly gotten a lot better. It's just about money. They They could keep the team going if they wanted, um, he could afford to keep it going, but he just doesn't see it feasible at this time. And um, it, and it makes sense because if you're losing a million dollars a year over been owning this team since 2008, so a million dollars, give or take, over about 10 years, that's, that's a lot of money to be losing. So it kind of makes sense for, for Brad to just 
take a break from, from ownership right now and just focus on driving and focus on his family as well. Yeah, sometimes you do just got to cut the losses and say, uh, you know, it, it, it is what it is. And certainly Brad Koloski, uh racing ends an era in victory lane, as, as, as you mentioned. So uh, congratulations to Brad Koloski, Kyle Busch Motorsports. Uh, final takeaways for the camping uh, 2017 season of the Camping World Truck Series. And we'll get into the Xfinity Race uh, Championship uh, today. Well, I, I think... As takeaways from the truck series, each year this year is probably one of the most fun to watch. They have some of the best racing. Um, but this year, I think, has been a not-so-great year for the truck series in terms of uh, teams leaving the series. Um, as we we just mentioned, Brad Kosloski Racing shutting down at the end of the year. Uh, Red Horse Racing, one of the most successful, successful teams in the history of the series, shut down only five or six races into the season. Um, we are likely to see uh, Nemco Motorsports probably step out of the series pretty soon, and Kyle Busch has threatened to um, pull his team if, if you know things were to go away that, that he didn't like it. So we're seeing teams kind of step out of the series because it's just not financially feasible anymore, and I think that's something that NASCAR needs to address, and they need to address it quickly or else one of the best series in NASCAR is going to go by the wayside. And, you know, I think you make a very, very valid point there. Uh, NASCAR has to do something. Uh, And I don't know. I like what they did this this year. I know we're getting off uh, track a little bit. But I like what they – no pun intended. uh, But I like what they did this year in the aspect of they combined a lot of the truck series races, or or a few, I should say, races with the NASCAR Xfinity and with the uh, uh, Monster Energy uh, uh, series that enabled ticket holders to see the truck races, where a lot of times people won't – spend the extra money to go see the truck races. Uh, a lot of people may say they have a completely different fan base than the other two uh, series, Xfinity's and Monster Energy uh, series. So NASCAR, I think, has taken some steps in the right direction to bring that fan base into uh, the, the truck uh, fan base, into the fold, if you will. A lot of times I think they were looked at as the redheaded stepchild of the series. Yeah, I would agree with that. And, and what you said uh, about um, sort of having a different fan base, I would agree with that as well. Because uh, even just looking on my Twitter feed at, at nights when there's a truck race, there's there's not as nearly as many people uh, even tweeting about the race as there would be on a Sunday for the Cup race. And I mean that's that's kind of a given. Cup is the the main series, but it's really kind of disappointing to see because this is a fantastic racing series. The the product is. Uh, often better than than the Cup Series, and and for people that you know want to just watch a, a couple hours and, and want to watch a shorter race in the Cup Series, it's also a great option because the races are typically um, half as long as what a Cup race is. Um, I would like to see more people get interested in this series because frankly, it's just a really good one that the people should be taking notice to. It's got the young drivers who are going to be moving up in the Cup in the future, most likely. Um, so this would be a great way to, to sort of see your future favorite driver while uh, while they're trying to make it. Absolutely. 
Well, we certainly know the Xfinity Series is uh, going on today, the championship. Uh, certainly, it's either going to be a JR Motorsport uh, champion or an RCR uh, champion. Uh, certainly, uh, with the J- uh, JR Motorsports, Elliot Saller, William Byron, and Justin Algeyer. And with RCR, we've got Daniel Hemrick. Talk with us a little bit about the Xfinity Race Series happening t- this evening uh, for uh, Xfinity as they crown their champion in Homestead. Well, I think for, for the Xfinity Series, it's going to be very tough at this point to beat uh, the young rookie, William Byron. We know Byron is going to be moving up into uh, Cup next year to drive the 24 car. Um, but we have, uh, and, and we've seen him do so well this season, winning four races, including last week at Phoenix. Uh, he won the truck race at Homestead last year, and he, he was quickest in practice yesterday. He's going to be very difficult to beat. I know he's got uh, a couple of really good teammates in Elliot Sadler and Justin Allgaier uh, and Daniel Daniel Hemrick also uh, for RCR, a very talented driver. But I just don't know if I see anyone beating Byron unless he has major issues today. Uh, Elliot Sadler has been extremely consistent throughout the season. Um, he he would have actually, under a regular point system, he would have locked up the championship last year or last week. Uh, which would probably come as a surprise to a lot of people because he hasn't had the flashy season that we saw from him necessarily in 2016. Uh, in 2016, he won three races. This year, he's won none, but he's got he he he's built up a lot of points throughout the season. Um, if anyone is going to contend with Byron for the championship, I think it'll be Sadler. But I just don't see anyone uh, taking it away from Byron at this point. Right, and, and absolutely, I think you're, you're totally right on that. I don't know that we have a lot of storylines with Xfinity. Certainly, I want to make sure that we cover the, the, the big uh, uh, granddaddy of them all, if you will, the, the Monster Energy uh, truck. Uh, not Monster. Start over here. The Monster Energy NASCAR Series Championship. I mean, we got, uh, uh, you know, the, the, the field of four is set. Uh, so certainly, you know, you got it. You got to root for guys like Martin Truex Jr. You got to root every anybody in that final four, if you will, has earned it this year. And certainly, I think what we have really, and maybe I'm wrong. If I am, certainly let me know that, Tyson. But wouldn't you say that the final four are, are truly the four top drivers in NASCAR, and that NASCAR got their playoff system right, and that NASCAR's final four really are the best four drivers? in the circuit right now. Yeah, I would absolutely agree. I think there's maybe one driver that's missing from that, and that would be Kyle Larson. But if you look at what the non-playoff standings look like um, after Phoenix, the top five in points are Martin Truex, Kyle Busch, Kevin Harvick, Kyle Larson, and Brad Kisosi. Four, uh The four drivers that are in the final four are all within the top five in the non-playoff standings. So I would say they've all had good seasons and deserve to be running for a championship heading into Homestead. I think Larson has had um, an impeccable season and it just, you know, bad luck in the playoffs with uh, engine failures, crashes that, that maybe weren't of his doing um, ended his chance at a championship. We've seen Larson over the past four races. He's uh, had DNFs and I believe two of them for engines, two for, for wrecks. Um, it just really has not gone his way the past few weeks, and, and that's why we see the championship for the way it is right now. We've seen drivers who have minimized mistakes 
um, won a lot of races and, and maybe took advantage of situations that, that were beyond someone else's control and, and used that to get into the championship for um, Brakislavski. Obviously, Phoenix really struggled, um, but was able to, just by being there at the end, get that final spot to advance to uh, to to Homestead after nearly winning at Martinsville and having a good run at Texas. Truex, with uh, definitely the best season by far, uh, deserves to be racing for a championship and probably deserves that championship. And then Kyle Busch really turned on the wicket at, uh, at the halfway point of the season and went on a, a string of winning a bunch of races. Kevin Harvick has been quietly there throughout the season too. So, I think these four drivers definitely all deserve to be racing for a championship tomorrow, and uh, it's probably the right four, and I think it does prove that NASCAR's format does quite often get it right. Who wins the championship, uh, the NASCAR championship, tomorrow in Homestead? I would like to say Martin Truex Jr., because I think he has had the best season and and should win the championship. However, I think um, that that team often... Uh, cracks under pressure, and I think it's going to go to Kyle Busch. Okay, final thought here on uh, NASCAR 2017 season. Also going into 2018, uh, Team Penske got a new sponsor, uh, Fitzgerald Glider Kits, become the primary sponsor and uh, of the uh, of the Penske Xfinity team, and uh, they will become the primary sponsor on the championship, winning number 22 Ford Mustang for the majority of the season, the Daytona 500 for sure, and definitely the Homestead race uh, at the end of the season. So uh, Fitzgerald Glider Kits, uh, big sponsor uh, for Penske. Thoughts on that? Thoughts on 2017? And thoughts on uh, 2018 moving forward, sir? Penske's added uh, a lot of sponsors or renewed a lot of their sponsors um, over the past several weeks. I believe I I, uh, remember reading a stat uh, just a few weeks ago that they um, have uh, gotten contract extensions with all of their major sponsors for 2018. That is uh, for all of them that were going to expire, that is that is um, an extremely good thing to have uh, in a time of uncertainty with sponsors and, and a lot of teams having trouble getting sponsors, but Penske is keeping their sponsors happy. So um, for Fitzgerald to be coming back, they've got Rev Group coming back. They're going to sponsor Ryan Blaney in a, in a couple races in 2018 in that third team Penske car. I think it, it speaks volumes for Team Penske on how they're doing on the sponsorship front. And uh, then again, on the on the side of the, the NASCAR season, I think we've had a really great season. We're going to see a couple drivers, Dale Earnhardt Jr., Matt Kenseth, uh, stepping away from the sport, Danica Patrick uh, as well. And it's going to be sad to see these drivers go by the wayside. And if you're a fan out there and you're thinking you're not really sure on if you want to keep watching uh, NASCAR anymore because your drivers are leaving, uh, I would say to keep, keep on watching because we've got a lot of really good good young talent out there in uh, between cup Xfinity and truck. There have been about 15 different first time winners this year. Um, so the future of NASCAR is bright. We have a lot of really, uh, really good personalities in these young drivers. So definitely keep watching, find your new driver and, and just stay in the sport. 
Tyson Lodzlager of OnPitRoad.com uh, breaking down the 2017 Monster Energy NASCAR Series Championship weekend for us and certainly breaking news regarding Danica Patrick retiring and running her final race right here at the Indianapolis 500 at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. Tyson, where can people find your work and your masterpieces, sir? Yeah, as always, you can follow me on Twitter at TysonLot23 and check us out on Twitter at OnPitRoad. Uh, and then always go to onpitroad.com. We've uh, had some great content out with uh, a couple of writers in Homestead this weekend, a couple of photographers, got some great photos, got some great stories, so definitely go check it out there. Thanks, Tyson. You have yourself a good race weekend, and uh, go Martin Truex Jr. I have to say that I agree with you on that pick, sir. Yeah, thanks. Have a good one. <laughs> All right, buddy. Tyson Lodgeslogger of OnPitRoad.com, our favorite Canadian that calls us and uh, brings us up to speed. No pun intended, but I'm just full of puns today. 917-889-8516 is my digits, and we'll be joining uh, Ed Kratz, our official NFL contributor, uh, obviously beat writer for the Philadelphia Eagles and USA Today. Rick Riggin also standing by in the balance green room. We're going to be talking about that hurricane that hit uh, Notre Dame and uh, – we don't even live – I mean, Indiana is not even in a hurricane area. So we'll talk about that right here on The Balance Radio Network. We'll be right back. Bobby, you're here again. Yeah, my doctor told me to reduce stress at work, so I come to Buffalo Wild Wings to eat lunch and watch sports. I get to pick one of seven entrees, like sandwiches and salads, plus one of seven sides. Well, I like sides. It's so affordable, I can finally take a vacation. Where are you going to go? Here, Tim. Here. Introducing the new B-Dub Fast Break Lunch Menu, starting at a new low price. Dine-in or order takeout weekdays between 11 and 2. Participation and availability may vary. Buffalo Wild Wings. Wings, beer, sports. It's double trouble, double the fun. At African Safari Wildlife Park in Port Clinton, Ohio. See the largest antelope on Earth, the giant eland, and the ugliest creature on Earth, the African warthog. There's so much to see and do, including the Midwest's only drive through safari. Feed the animals. See live educational shows. Feel the excitement. Have your picture taken with a python or cockatoo. Feel the adventure. Shop the Symbol Lodge gift shop with items available from around the globe. Visit the snack bar or picnic facilities. Enjoy a pony or camel ride. Or cheer your favorite porker on to victory in the famous Pork Chop Down. Bring your family to see the rare and exotic animals at African Safari Wildlife Park in Port Clinton, Ohio. Just take Route 2 to the Route 53 North exit and follow the sign. Only 17 miles west of Cedar Point via Route 6. Open every day, rain or shine. When you don't go to Geico.com, car insurance can be confusing. Like Swedish techno confusing. Bark, bark, meow, meow. Dance with me, purple cow. Bark, bark, meow, meow. Ooh, you lovely cow. Geico makes it easy. With 24-7 access, all you have to do is go to Geico.com and you can save money on car insurance. It just makes sense. Unlike, you know. Dance with me, purple cow. I like your mood. When you don't go to Geico.com, car insurance can be hard. Like early 90s heavy metal hard. I'm yelling and screaming and I'm loud. Roar. Geico makes it easy. You can review and update your policy or report a claim on Geico.com or the Geico mobile app. 
Because shouldn't we all have a little less stress in our lives? Welcome back to The Balance. My name is Tom Marquisale, President. Hey, time to kick off the second hour. Yeah, we had a little bit of a delayed start today thanks to modern technology and updates, but that's okay. Uh, we uh, worked through it. Thanks for Tyson Lotschlager for joining us and, and breaking down the breaking news that we heard in both IndyCar and NASCAR yesterday, and that is that uh, da- Danica Patrick, uh, you know, say what you will about her. Uh, certainly, uh, we, we've uh, had our share of jokes at her expense on this show. Eye candy at the track, can't win a race. But you really, in a lot of aspects, you got to give her credit where credit is due. She certainly has a huge passion for the sport and and she's going to come full circle and end her career in racing at the indianapolis 500 in 2018 right here in indianapolis uh at the indianapolis motor speedway and she made that announcement yesterday and she will also in the same year in 2018 be running the daytona 500 so she'll be running the daytona 500 and the indianapolis 500 two of the biggest races uh in in the racing circuits uh period and uh, she will be calling it quits and rumor has it she'll be going into the broadcast booth with NBC. But joining us now is Ed Kratz and Rick Riggin. Ed, our official NFL contributor and beat writer for um, the uh, Philadelphia Eagles and USA Today. And Rick Riggin uh, gives us a call from down south in God's country in Evansville uh, and certainly our official uh, college football contributor. Mr. Riggin, how is you, sir? Pretty good, Tom. How you doing? Man, it is a cold, ugly, Nasty day here in Indianapolis. It's one of those days where you just want to just stay in bed and not get up and just, like, as they say, Netflix and chill. Ed Kratz, our official NFL contributor, joins us as well. How is you, sir? <laughs> hey, uh, I'm great, guys. Good, good day good day to you both, Tom and Rick. Happy to be uh, on board with you guys again. Hey, Ed, how Absolutely. You doing? Well, Hey, hey Tom, real, real quick. Tom, real quick. Do you do you really know what next Netflix and chair really means? Do you know what that really means? Yeah, I I I know what it means. And it it yeah, I, I I realized I was already committed to saying it. Once I said it, I was like, oh well, it's out there. And hey, that's okay too. It's a it's a good day for Netflix and chills. So uh, that said, that's funny. Thank you, thank you, Rick. Yes, I I knew I what it to meant. Just wanted to throw it out there I, to see if you knew, knew what that phrase really meant. <laughs> yes, uh, yes, sir. I I do know what that means. And uh, but you know, once you commit, once you commit to something, you just either gotta backtrack or just let it go. And sometimes the radio, you just have to let it go. But uh, <laughs> on that note, <laughs> Ed, how are you, sir? Hey, I'm great. I'm great. I, I that must be an Indiana thing because I, I don't get I don't get the uh, Netflix and chill. <laughs> I will I will I will text you the meaning. Put it this way: it, it requires two people. <laughs> typically a male okay. and a female, but I guess uh, <laughs> typically a male and a female. Yeah. Uh, right, I've got an idea now. 
Yeah, yeah basically <laughs> Netflix is just, just a background noise. That's all Netflix is, just a background noise. <laughs> we have got to get back on track. We have got to get back on track. What a way to start our NFL segment. Uh, Welcome to Saturday morning, by the way. <laughs> That's right. Uh, but uh, so, well, heck, heck, maybe you do want to Netflix and chill instead of the NFL because it's becoming quite the the drama uh, scene, if you will. Let's talk a little bit just because everybody else is talking about it. And, you know, I want to talk about some of the – we'll talk with uh, with uh, Rick, too, and Breaking Rank a little, and Mo a little bit later on. So we want to talk a little bit about the coaching changes and, and possible Black Monday as well as those pictures become more uh, uh, together. But one of the biggest things that I want to talk about is Jerry Jones and his so-called quasi – power within the NFL. Now, let's we we must admit that he does have uh some clout if you will. I mean, the draft did not end up in Dallas by accident. That's for sure. Uh the uh, Jerry Jones had a vital role in uh the Raiders going to Vegas and um the Chargers uh going there as well. Uh so I mean not to Vegas but to LA, I'm sorry. Uh what are your thoughts? To me, it seems like a grumpy old rich man that just get over it. Okay, your guy got suspended. Get over it. Let's go on with life. Let's play some football. Stop making it all about you, Jerry Jones. Ed. Well, yeah. I mean, uh, he just looks petty to me in terms of how he's handled the whole suspension of his running back Elliot. You know, he he had initially put out there that the the, the league and the owners were close to agreeing uh, with uh, Roger Goodell on a contract extension. And, uh, and now because he, you know, his star running back has been suspended for six games. He decided to wage war on Roger Goodell. And look, you can say a lot of things about Roger Goodell and, you know, how maybe his time has passed. I think it probably has. I think we talked about this previously that, you know, you really should have kind of a term limit, set on the commissioners of the NFL in any sport, really, uh, you know, and you flush them in and out after, you know, five, 10 years, whatever you want to make it. But, uh, you know, I'm not a big fan of Goodell's at this point either, but if you're Jerry Jones, you just kind of look kind of, like you said, kind of old and grumpy at this point. Well, and we'll get your thoughts too, Rick, but here, here's the thing. And, you know, you hear a lot of stories and you, and you read a lot of things. So you take it for a grain of salt, but here's the story as, as I, as I understand it. Uh, Jones thought he had an understanding, a, a nonverbal, nonwritten, but an understanding that the NFL would not suspend uh, Zeke Elliott. Uh, then they did. Okay. So the thing about it is, you saw something very similar to this with Kraft and Brady in, in Deflategate. Uh, again, they thought they had an understanding, and, it, and that just was not the case. And I think in both cases, actually, in a, in a lot of ways, I kind of agree with Jerry Jones on this matter because I don't know that we should, should suspend uh, Elliott just strictly based on hearsay because he's never been charged. He's never been convicted uh, of a crime of domestic violence. Now, do we believe that he did it? Yeah, I think logically you could put two and two together, connect the dots and say, yes, he did do it. But at the same time, you, it's kind of hard to punish somebody uh, for a crime or a, a an ordeal that he's never been charged or convicted of. So I, I can see both sides of it. 
But at the same time, right at the end of the day, Roger Goodell is the NFL commissioner. I want to talk about his ridiculous claims. And I guess when you go into contract negotiations, you can ask for whatever you want. Uh, I've put contracts together for my own employment before. There's things I ask for, things I get, things I ask for, things I don't get. So this very well might be some of the things he doesn't get. But how arrogant is it for him to say, I want, whether I'm commissioner or not, I want a private plane to my access for life, and I want my family's health insurance to be paid for for life. Oh, and I want several million dollars a year because I, I can't pay for my own family's insurance, and I can't pay for my own jet. Thoughts on that real quick, and then we'll get some thoughts from Rick, and we'll get into these games. Uh, don't you get that with where you work? Don't you have use of a, a private jet for the rest of your life? I thought – I thought that was kind of standard well, I had procedure for every year. Uh... I had to ask for it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, it sounds great, doesn't it, to have a, a free jet for the rest of your life? But, uh, you know, look, it's just a negotiation. Like you said, it's a, you start with, you know, you shoot for the moon, and, you know, you're not going to get all of that. And, you know, it's not like they're going to agree to this extension overnight, I guess. And, uh, you know, they're going to work down from there. I mean, you shoot for what you can get, but, you know, the most you can get, and you try to get it. and you know that the owners will come back and you know with a counter proposal and you know you work from there i will he get lifetime use of a jet i doubt it uh you know health care for his family for the rest of his life I, you know that to me seems kind of out of reach um although you know the players get that after they've become vested in the league after so many years so you know you could say that maybe he does uh you know get lifetime uh health care for his family but, uh, you know, these are all just points of negotiation that you have to kind of look at them. You, you, and, you, you know, they're like little pillars of the foundation and you knock one down or, you know, you try to uh, keep it standing if you're on Goodell's side and, uh, and you try to get what you can get. I think it looks kind of greedy and kind of, you know, self-serving, obviously. But, uh, you know, it's hard to fault him for trying to get what he can get. He's not going to get it. And it leaked out to the public exactly what he's asking for. And it makes him look, you know, look greedy, and, and that's not very good at all. Rick, uh, what are your thoughts on Jerry Jones, Roger Cadell, the NFL, Zeke Elliott, everything that's going on as far as that goes? By the way, I, I understand it. Uh, this, this all started way back when Paul Tagliabue was still commissioner and Cadell was kind of just in the office fly on the wall type of guy. And they were in the process of building Jerry World, and Jerry Jones was running out of money, and the stadium went way past deadline and way over budget. And Rogers Goodell is the one that stepped in to help him out with, with the money and some other things to get the stadium done with. And in return, when it came time, time for Roger Goodell to be commissioner, Jerry Jones pulled his strings, and that's how he got Roger Goodell as commissioner. That's the way I understand it. But it's like that whole thing when you got a buddy or just somebody that you helped out get a job and that person does the job, like, and doesn't play any favorites, you know you know what I mean? And they're not showing you any favoritism because even though you helped them get the job, now you want that person out of, it, out of there. That's just the way I understand it. Oh, and just for the record, guys, and then we'll get into this, uh, you may have saw this when they were talking about all the uh, stuff with the NFL and the contracts. That one of the advisors to the NFL – is none other than one Condoleezza Rice, just as an FYI, throwing that out there to you. But uh, <laughs> we won't get back on the Condoleezza Rice uh, uh, discussion again this week, but I, I, I'm just saying that there's more to that than what you might might believe. So let's get into the game. Certainly, uh, wow, uh, Ed, you look at Thursday night, man, 
I don't know if I'm excited that uh, the Titans got schooled and got their butts beat because they're in the AFC South, although the Colts don't stand a chance and and you know where to uh, go anywhere this year. I'm always excited to see other teams in the AFC South lose. Uh, But that said, that said, we saw how well – we played against Pittsburgh. And at the end of the day, the Colts, I, I don't care what you say. I know it doesn't count in wins and losses. And that, at the end of the day, that's what really counts. But the Colts beat the Steelers on Sunday on paper. Now, you can say one or two things. Well, they were on the bye, and they're like, oh, it's just the Colts. We don't have to really worry about it. Let's focus on the Titans. And they got really ready, over-prepared for the Titans. The Titans did not prepare uh, properly for the Steelers. But the Colts did prepare properly for the Steelers because you saw two separate teams on Sunday and Thursday. And for a short week, that, the, that Pittsburgh Steelers team on Thursday just dominated. Yeah, well, you can get excited about that if you're a Colts fan. I, I can't blame you. You know, you played the Steelers, you know, tooth and nail there and played them to a close game and uh, in, in, you know, Lucas Oil Stadium. And then the Tennessee comes to Pittsburgh, tough place to play. Uh, you know, it doesn't really speak well of the strength of the AFC South when, the you know, the team that's tied for first place, the Titans come in and get drilled like that. And, you know, Mariota threw, what, I think four interceptions? Uh, you know, here's a kid that was picked second in the draft, I think, a couple of years ago. And then your first round, first pick overall in that draft, Jameis Winston, you know, he's been accused of, uh, you know, sort of sexual harassment or something against the Uber driver. And, you know, his career hasn't panned out. So you just look at those first two quarterbacks taken in that draft and they're not looking too good where, and you can contrast it to the two quarterbacks that were picked one, two last year and Jared Goff and Carson Wentz and, and how well they're playing. And, it's interesting. Everybody thought Mariota and, and uh, Winston were the creams of the crop and that they were going to be great NFL quarterbacks. And uh, the jury was out kind of on Wentz and Goff, and there were whispers that these guys aren't deserving of being the top two picks in the draft. And yet here we are. You know, Mariota looked, you know, did not look good at all against the Steelers' defense, which, you know, you have to credit the Steelers' defense in that game too. They're the second-ranked defense in the league. They were coming in. So, you know, that's a tough uh, job to uh you know to move the ball against them and you saw the Colts I think put up 17 against them which isn't great uh you know to hold the team under 20 in the in the NFL game in and game out you're going to win a lot of those games and that's what the Steelers are able to do and that's what makes them such a good uh Super Bowl pick going forward they're eight and two they have a defense that's very very good uh Big Ben isn't the quarterback that he used to be uh, you know, he, I think Steve Smith said it on the NFL Network prior to the game. The reason the Steelers aren't scoring many points this year is that Ben Roethlisberger is just a good quarterback. He's not great anymore, and that's pretty accurate. And then, of course, Roethlisberger goes out and hangs 40 on him. But, uh, you know, I think the defense gets a lot of credit for taking the ball away from the Titans. Uh, but, you know, I think the Titans, you see what they are. They're just not, uh, you know, not ready for that step up in competition yet. Uh, and I'm not sure who any who is in that in that division. And, you know, the Colts are sitting on the sideline this week, but they have no hope of winning the division or, or playing in the playoffs. But it's great they played the Steelers to a close game. You can you can hang your hat on that, I guess. Rick, uh, any questions uh, for Ed on uh, Thursday's game? And then we'll, we'll get into some of these NFL stories. Yeah, I'm just trying to figure out if Pittsburgh's a, a good team or a great team yet because they, they look like two different teams to me. They're world beaters at home but they don't play that great on the road, and I, and I can't figure that out. I want to say they're a really great team and maybe even, uh, you know, the, the top favorite now to win, win the Super Bowl, but 
I don't know if that's true, if they are or not, because I, I can't figure them out yet. That's just the way they look to me. And my other thing is, as far as Marcus Mariota and Jameis Winston, to me, I, I think it's more coaching than it just is their ability to grasp the NFL and what it takes to play quarterback in the NFL. Because, I mean, what if uh, John Gruden was head coach at, down at Tampa Bay again and he had Jameis Winston? How different would Jameis Winston look as opposed to he has, he has Dirk Cutter as a head coach now? Yeah, well, well he wouldn't be taking an Uber. Go ahead. <laughs> he wouldn't be taking an Uber. Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> go ahead. <laughs> Apologize, yeah. that was bad. Go ahead. <laughs> no, that was good. I wish I would have thought of it. Uh, <laughs> no, but, I mean, Dirk Cutter, you know, he was the offensive coordinator in Atlanta uh, with Matt Ryan, and he did good things with uh, Matt Ryan, and he's been an offensive quarter in ja- uh, coordinator in Jacksonville. So, you know, I mean – you know, you would think Dirk Cutter might be able to figure some things out and be able to coach up a, a young quarterback like Winston. I, I don't know, but you can certainly make that case in L.A. where Jeff Fisher uh, was the head coach of the Rams for uh, Jared Goff's first season, and Goff looked absolutely horrible. And you bring in the young new head coach, Sean McVay, and, you know, Goff looks like uh, the comeback player of the year. Uh, that's exactly yeah, where, where I was heading. That, that, that's exactly where I was going. That was, that was my thought. Because of what Sean yeah. McVay's doing out in L.A., that's where I was going with that. Yeah, right. And then you look at the Eagles. You know, it's like quarterback university here with Doug Peterson, a former backup in the in the in the league for 13 years, and Frank Reich is, a, is the offensive coordinator who was a, a backup quarterback for 12 years, and uh, John D. Filippo, the quarterbacks coach, who was an offensive coordinator, who's being mentioned by the way, uh, for some of the head coaching uh, opportunities that are going to crop up uh, on the day after the season ends. And uh, you know, these guys are all ver- well versed in schooling young quarterbacks. So I would think Cutter could do a better job with Jameis Winston. Um, you know, of course he was a character issue coming out of Florida state and, you know, now we've seen that crop up here with this Uber case. So, uh, but I would think Cutter should be able to get something out of that guy. Uh, maybe Mike Malarkey in Tennessee, maybe you need to kind of bring someone in that can work with Mariota. Uh, Cause to me, Mariota is just, you know, he's got a lot of talent, but boy, he just has, has not put it together at all. I think he's struggling you know, drop back, dropping back and throwing. He didn't do a lot of that at Oregon when he won the Heisman. Uh, there's a lot to be said for coaching. There, there's no doubt about it, Rick. And I, I'm just disappointed in Cutter. I think I thought he could do a better job down there in Tampa. And they're like I said, I think last week they were one of the bigger disappointments in the league this year in the season they're having. Do you think it, well, it's I'm, like I'm, a, a, a going to say? Do you think it's like a Ben McAdoo situation where everybody loves Ben McAdoo as a player because he's a great coordinator? You know, he's done almost every coordinator job there is, and all the players love him. But you put him as a head coach, he's just not, not a head coach. He's just That's just one position higher than what he's really good at. You know, Do you think that's the case down on Tampa Bay? Yeah, you know, it could be. You're right. Some guys aren't, you know, not cut out to be a head coach. You know, they maybe try to do too much or they, you know, uh, try to micromanage everything. Uh, so, yeah, that, that certainly could be the case with Dirk Cutter, uh you know, to me, he would be a guy that's on the hot seat. I know he just got hired down there, but, uh, you know, to me, Tampa – and, you know, look, Tampa's still kind of on the fringe of the playoffs. I, I believe they're, uh, what, four and uh, – well, I guess they're three and six, but uh, they're probably out of it. But there's no – you know, they have Fitzpatrick in there now, The you know, the veteran quarterback. We'll see what Cutter can do with him, and maybe they can kind of win some games and maybe get to eight and eight, and uh, maybe that's enough to save his job. But – you're right. I think you have to measure what he does with Jameis Winston and, and how Winston is developing. And, 
you know, to me, Winston, I don't know. It doesn't look to me like he's gotten any better from year one to year two when I thought he would take a big step this year. I'm sorry, year, I guess it would be year and two you know, to year three. Yeah. I'm sorry. No, no, uh, and I, no, 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 you're fine. I was also just going to make sure that we point out that Jameson Winston has denied that he ever groped any Uber driver uh, and that there is an NFL investigation going on. So just, uh, right. you know, we'll talk about that if that, if that, if that happens. I want to, you know, talk a little, a little bit with you, uh, Ed. Cam Chancellor is out for the rest of the season. Obviously, that's another uh, shot in the gut to the Seattle Seahawks with Sherman out. Uh, this is good. Well, you got to like the way where you guys are at anyway with the Philadelphia Eagles. you got Dallas coming up uh, this this weekend. Uh, no Zeke Elliott going to be playing for da- Dallas. Uh, you guys are on a roll to the Super Bowl, and you know that. And, hey, I'm glad for you. Talk with us a little bit about Dallas and uh, an Eagles game this weekend and also – the impact now that Cam Chancellor out that that uh, Seattle really is going to be a nobody when it comes to playoffs later on in the year. That's a huge loss, uh, obviously, for Seattle to lose both Sherman and now what looks like Cam Chancellor with a neck injury. And you know, look, you still have Russell Wilson, but you know that defense is going to be patchwork in the secondary. They brought back Byron Maxwell. Uh, who, who was cut from Miami after being traded from Philadelphia to Miami. Uh, is he going to be the answer? I, you know, I like Maxwell when he was in Seattle. Maybe he kind of can rekindle his career a little bit and kind of lift, uh, help lift that secondary up. But it's just so hard to overcome, you know, two big guns in your secondary like that and Sherman and Chancellor. And I don't, I'm not sure Seattle's going to be able to do that, but we'll see. I mean, they have a, a fairly favorable schedule left. I think, you know, they kind of they play a home game and a road game and a home game and a road game. So they don't play more than two games on the road for the rest of the year. Uh, one of those games will be against the Eagles in Seattle. Uh, so, you know, they, they're still at six and three. They're still very much alive and they're going to have to rally around the secondary that's going to be rebuilt. Uh, you know, as far as I guess the Eagles and the Cowboys, you know, going into that game Sunday night. I know a lot's made of the injuries to Dallas. They're missing uh, Sean Lee, their linebacker, and I think the yards they give up on the ground with Lee playing linebacker I think is like 80-something a game, and then when Lee is not uh, in the game due to injury, and let's face it, Sean Lee gets hurt an awful lot. But when he's not in there, that defense gives up 150 yards a game on the ground. And, you know, the I expect the Eagles to kind of go in with their running back, their new running back, Jay Ajayi, and LeGarrette Blunt and just kind of pound the ball at that Dallas defense uh, to open up some things on the outside for Carson Wentz to take advantage of down the field. Uh, you know, Dallas will also be, it looks like, without their left tackle, Tyron Smith, who we all saw what a disaster it was against Atlanta last week when they had Chaz Green in there. Uh, it was like a swinging door. He gave up six sacks to uh, Adrian Claiborne and uh, Dak Prescott was knocked down ten times, sacked eight times overall. Uh, they're not going to go back to Chaz Green. They're going to go to Byron Bell. I expect the Cowboys to try to utilize kind of a quicker passing game to get the ball out of Prescott's hands quicker. They didn't adjust at all in Atlanta. Uh, So I think you're going to see some adjustments having a week to get ready for the Eagles. And, you know, Dallas is playing for its its future here. They're five and four. Even beating the Eagles on Sunday night, they're still kind of, uh, you know, could be on the outside looking in. Uh, at the playoffs, but they definitely need to win this game. The Eagles are coming off a bye, might be a little rusty early on, but uh, to me, they're just, I think, the better team at this point. Even though the Eagles have their own 
share of injuries. They lost their left tackle for the year in Jason Peters. Of course, they lost the running back in Darren Scrolls earlier in the year. They're going to be buoyed by the return of uh, their cornerback, Ronald Darby, who they got in a trade with Buffalo, who dislocated his ankle in the season opener. He's been out ever since. He's supposed to be back. And uh, he's the guy that the Eagles are really counting on this year and going forward. So they get him back. So I don't know. I think the Eagles are just too good of a team at this point. They're on a roll, and I think they'll find a way to win in Dallas. But it's going to be a tough down-to-the-wire type of game because, A, Dallas is fighting for its playoff live. And B, it's an NFC East game, and it's a huge rivalry game. I'm I'm glad it's on national TV. I'm glad we don't have to look at the Miami Dolphins in prime time again. I mean, we saw the Dolphins for three straight <laughs> weeks in prime time, and you know I've had enough of that. So we, I think we have two pretty good games in prime time this weekend with the Eagles, Dallas Sunday, and then Monday you have the Falcons in Seattle uh, to see how that secondary looks against Matt Ryan. So you know it should be a good you know couple nights of football this weekend. Absolutely, we're due. And I, I tell you what, these, these, that's the bad part about playing in these other games on Thursday and Sunday night. Unfortunately, with everybody getting a Thursday night game, you're going you're gonna to see some good games and you're going to see some bad games. Joining us now also is Mo from the BS Sports Show, who joins us to bet against the spread and just kind of BS with us about sports. Uh, Mo, we're talking about Jerry Jones and, Jer- and Roger Cadell and the, and the NFL uh, cluster uh, you know what uh, happening in the front office of the NFL? The power play that Jerry Jones is playing. We're talking uh, certainly about the games that are going on. The the loss of Cam Chancellor now that that we see looks like it's going to be season ending for uh, Chancellor in uh, Seattle. Obviously, big impact that that has on that team. And we were just talking about uh, you know the Eagles and what a role that they are on. One of the things we want to break into now is our breaking rank brought to us by Ann Betts. Rick, go ahead and talk with us a little bit. About about the ambits and we'll get into some college football talk and back into the NFL as well as we talk bet against the spread after some breaking rank action. Rick? So we uh, we, we fight for the benefits our veterans are entitled to since the end of World World World, World War War Two. Man, that was so easy for me to say. Uh, so uh, go out get your right, check out your local ambits, get signed up. Thirty bucks a year here in Indiana, two fifty lifetime. It's Easy process, quick and easy. Family atmosphere in every Ambet's post I've been to so far. So uh, it's a really good thing. Do a lot of good community work. So hope to see you out at Ambet sometime. Well, let's get into this college football talk. I do want to talk about Notre Dame and uh, getting hit by the hurricane and all of that. Uh, I do want to talk about that. But I, I also want to talk about uh, some of the coaching changes that we're seeing take place. We'll start with you, Mo. One of the biggest rumors out there, obviously because it's an open uh, college position, but it does make sense. And I think if he's going to go anywhere, I know I've talked with you guys kind of offline via text about this, but uh, John Gruden to Tennessee, uh, I think his days are numbered at ESPN just because of the way ESPN is is panning out uh, to be and that Monday Night Football is no longer as big of a thing anymore as it used to be. I think we see a change with John Gruden, and I think – uh, Tennessee would be the only college place that he would go see. And I think that if Tennessee is smart, they will do everything they can do to get John Gruden on board and lead the helm uh, down in Knoxville. What are your thoughts, uh, uh, Mo? Well, I mean, the thing is, we see this, you know, every time John Gruden has a contract coming up, uh, you know, he's all of a sudden interested in coaching again and then stays in the Monday Night Football booth. Uh, you know, he is probably ESPN's most recognizable personality. 
Uh, I don't think they let him go or want to let him go because, you know, you talk about Monday Night Football being down without John Gruden. It's probably down more. Uh, but, you know, we've seen this for the past five or six years and never uh, has he left. And I think if he leaves, I don't, I don't know that the college game is where he's probably uh, best at because it seems like he's a guy who's a, who's a yeller who it maybe wears thin uh, on guys at times. But I don't know. I, I, until Ben Gruden actually has, is on the sideline again with a headset on, I don't believe it. Every, every time we see this, it always seems that uh, he gets a bigger contract extension in the ESPN. So it, it makes sense, but I won't believe it until I see it. Uh, Ed, your thoughts on John Gruden to Tennessee? I, you know, I know he's kind of he's almost become a caricature of himself in the booth, booth hasn't he? With his faces and his, you know, the shtick mm-hmm. that he brings. I mean, and and really, do, do high school kids even really know that he won a Super Bowl? You know, twenty years ago. I mean, or however long it's been. I mean, does he really does he have that name recognition to a high school kid anymore? I, I don't know. And and can he coach? I mean, he's been away for so long. I mean, I. I just think people get enamored and fall in love with the name John Gruden. But, you know, to me, I, I don't know. Does he still have the passion to coach? Can he still coach? Uh, will people take him seriously as players, et cetera? I don't know. I mean, I, to me, he'd be a huge risk for anybody to hire at this point. Well, I know Clay Travis is uh, pushing hard to, to have him down there in Tennessee. <laughs> uh, Rick, uh, you know, we, we, we talk about these coaches, and really, you look at the SEC, and, and it's just one hot seat after another. Uh, we know that Jim Mc, McWain is out in Florida. Florida. He's gone, okay? Uh, and so there's, there's talk about the Gators uh, hiring Chip Kelly. I think that's the biggest rumor. We've all talked about that this week. Scott Frost, uh, Dan Mullen, uh, uh, the guy out in Oregon, Willie Taggart. What are your thoughts on Florida Gators, their coach, who's out, who's in? Uh, the things that I'm reading is that Chip Kelly, even though it, everybody say he doesn't want to go back to college because he hates recruiting, uh, that is almost a done deal because he had some violations when he was at Oregon. And I think uh, the uh, commissioner of the SEC, Mike Sly, wants all that those things vetted before they – he gives the okay to pull the trigger on Chip Kelly, but that seems to be like the likely thing right now. Chip Kelly is going to be at going to be at Florida. And the thing about John Gruden and me and Ed just talked about this ten minutes ago, maybe seven minutes ago. If Dirk Cutter really is on the hot seat and Tampa Bay needs a coach, they they're they're going to send the house to John Gruden. Why not bring like their guy back that won the Super Bowl and? You know, he, he's not going to go to Tennessee if Tampa Bay opens up. Because we know the contract for Monday Night Football for him is over in 2020. And I don't think ESPN is going to get that Monday Night Football contract anymore after that. But if Tampa Bay opens up because of what's going on down in Tampa Bay with Dirk Cutter, uh, I think John Gruden goes there. Well, we're doing Breaking Rank. We do this every week. We talk college football uh, brought to us by the AMBETS. Certainly a great organization. Get involved with them, AMBETS.com. Uh, Got our panel, Ed Kratz, our official NFL contributor and beat writer for the Philadelphia Eagles and USA Today. Rick Riggin, our official uh, college football contributor, Mo from the BS Sports Show, uh, who uh, helps us understand the lines of betting and really uh, is the voice of reason between all of us uh, is, is Mo. So, uh, Mo, we'll go back to you, uh, and we'll start back again with Tennessee. We, 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 as we mentioned earlier, uh, we were talking about Roger Cadell and his contract uh, demands. 
And, and you know, Ed said, of course, you've got to always shoot for the moon. So the moon shot would be John Gruden for Tennessee. But let's put him aside and table him for a second. Uh, who do you think would be a good choice uh, for Tennessee? Is it Mississippi State's Dan Mullen, uh, Louisville's uh, Bobby Petrino, uh, Central Florida Scott Frost, uh, Oklahoma State's uh, Mike, Mike Gundy, uh, maybe? What are your thoughts, Mo? Well, you know, I mean, Tennessee's continued to make bad coaching hires over the last, uh, you know, however many they've hired. Uh, I, I don't know what it's going to take to get that, that program back to its glory days. I, I mean, if it hadn't been such a, a bad divorce before, the the one big-time head coach that would have made sense would have been Lane Kiffin. But I don't know. A lot of those SEC schools, it seems like a lateral move. I don't know that I moved from Mississippi State to, you know, over to over there. So, it's 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 not uh, it's not a job that's a very uh, a, a very pleasing job right now because you're going to have to take on all the SEC uh, powerhouses every year. Uh, it would be like taking the uh, the Arkansas job right now once they uh, get rid of uh, uh, their current coach. So it's just it's not a, I don't think an appetizing job. Maybe you find a uh, 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 Matt coach. I mean that seems to be the the. Uh, higher every year, we find uh, a guy in the MAC who uh, has an amazing year, and then he's off to a bigger job. But I don't know. It just it, there's there's no coach that stands up to me that goes, "Wow, that's a, that's a great choice." I, I don't think John Gruden winds up there, but Tennessee needs to come up with something, and there's just no name right now to me that, that jumps out and goes, "Ah, yeah, that's the guy. That's the guy." I mean, maybe, and the one that I think Florida probably should look at most as a consultant is Steve Spurrier. Maybe that's a name uh, if he would be interested in coaching again that uh, that could. Uh, uh, get the fans excited. Tennessee. Just, there's nobody out there right now that I go, ah, that'd be a great hire for Tennessee. I, I, I don't see it right now. Well, if Tennessee wants to do another bad hire, Ed, they can always hire Gary Anderson, uh, who's out from Oregon State. Uh, he can't see, he can't seem to catch a break. But we we, we look at the interim coach, uh, Corey Hall. He seems to uh, have uh, injected new life into Oregon State. The, the Beavers out there. Does he get the job, or or does Oregon State uh, uh, jump on the carousel and and go after John Gruden or or, or whoever? Uh, what are your thoughts on on uh, Gary Anderson at, at Oregon State? Oregon State, their coach. I'm sorry. Ed, are you there? Oh, oh yeah. Are oh, you asking me? Yeah, I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, I think sometimes. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I think you could always, you I could always just say pass. Uh, well, well, I just, I, just in because, general, I think because. I, I, Oh, I'm sorry. I was just going to say, <laughs> oops, uh, because clearly this show has become a big episode of Cards Against Humanity. But go right ahead. I am so sorry, Ed. <laughs> okay. That's a fun game. That's I love right. that. <laughs> yes. Uh, go ahead, Ed. I'm so sorry. One, uh, that's another one I really don't know, the Cards Against Humanity. Uh, but, <laughs> but I, <laughs> I, you know, I think sometimes these colleges are uh, so enamored with trying to find the big names. You know, uh, and I understand why they do. They want to, you know, appeal to their alumni base and their, you know, their booster base and their fans. And uh, so I get it. But uh, I think sometimes, you know, you have to kind of maybe hire a, a young guy that's hungry that wants to do the job and, and, and not recycle somebody. You know, I, I don't know who's out there, but, you know, I'm sure there's guys on NFL staffs that, you know, successful NFL franchises that might make a good head coach. I mean, you really have to do your homework, and you just can't say, oh, let's bring Gruden in. He's a big name. And, and like I said, I get why, why colleges want to do that. But I think if you want some success, I think you really need to do your homework and, and look at guys that might be under the radar and, 
and bring them in and talk to them and just see how hungry they are to succeed instead of bringing in the recycled uh, type of a head coach. Uh, absolutely. Ed. You know, Ed, uh, you know, I, I had never played, in all fairness, I had never played Cards Against Humanity till last week when I was at a party last week. Uh, it was actually a postponed Halloween party, so it just turned out to be a fall party, but that's neither here nor there. And I had never played it. But I could tell you what, it's an adult game. You don't want to play it with kids. Well, they say there's a uh, apples to apples, which is more kid-friendly. But uh, it's, a, it's a game that will bring out your inner perversion. Uh, and it's hard to explain on the air. I just have to show you with the, the, the link to it. But uh, a fun thing for you to do to your son, say, uh, hey, son, uh, your mom and I are going to Netflix and chill and play Cards Against Humanity and watch his text response to you. <laughs> <laughs> he'd, he'd probably say like all right i'll see you next week then all right dad no details yeah. no details dad. <laughs> mo uh what are your thoughts uh, uh cards against humanity netflix and chill or uh back to the coaching carousel <laughs> well first i feel like that you you must be getting some kind of fee to find john gruden's job because you're pushing him hard on a lot of people uh, well, you know, I, uh, Cards is fun, but you feel really dirty afterwards. Because uh, I live uh, by myself, next question chill turns into a one-man party after a while, so it's not that fun. Um, you know, as far as the coaches go, you know, it, 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 I, I hate in, in-season coaching moves. I mean, obviously, Rich Jones had to go to Tennessee, and, and Jim McElvain with the, the, the fake death threat charges, but I, I hate these in-season moves as much as I dislike the, the job Chuck Logano and his staff have done. It's just what's the point unless some guy comes available that you want right away. So, uh, you know, I, I'm not a fan of it. And uh, hopefully uh, the money's good that you're trying to get to uh, find Gruden a job. Well, absolutely. And I, I will say this about Cards Against Humanity. If you don't live by yourself, I live by myself as well. But if you don't live by yourself, just hope that your significant other plays with you or if they don't play with you, just delete your Google searches because they're going to wonder really big time what you're doing if they see your Google searches uh, after playing Cards Against Humanity. All right, uh, Rick, we'll go back to you, buddy. Uh, I know it's been a rough week for you, man. Uh, you guys got hit by that hurricane. This has just been a terrible hurricane season uh, <laughs> in a lot of ways. But, my God, I don't think anybody saw that ass whipping coming to Notre Dame the way that it came down from Miami. Yeah, not at all. And, uh, you know, now that the uh, – I'm still depressed. Uh, a lot of it's worn off now. I'm just looking forward to Navy. And uh, not want to think about that Miami game anymore. But if you would have told me at this point in the season that we would be ranked eighth and had a shot at ten wins or whatever before the season started, I think I would have taken it. But after just making a playoff appearance for two weeks and, you know, us Notre Dame fans always want more, you know, it, that one just doesn't doesn't sit right, losing like that. I, I'd be able to take a close loss, I guess, even though it's still hurt. But to lose that way, man, I was depressed until, like, Wednesday. So it's pretty bad. Yeah, and and uh, we'll get your thoughts on it, too, Ed. I mean, I, I, I love watching Navy, period. I, and, and I can't wait until December 9th for the Army-Navy game. Go Army. But I love these service academies. They're great teams to watch. They're a lot of fun to watch. It certainly always when Notre Dame and Navy uh, get together, it's good. But it's just I don't know what happened with Notre Dame. It kind of feels like they fell back to last year. 
I don't, I don't, I don't get what happened. Ed, what are your thoughts on Notre Dame last week and certainly this week against uh, Navy? Yeah, I was, you know, I, I, I like Notre Dame myself. I have to admit, I, I do like that program. I followed them since I was a kid. And, uh, I, I was a little bummed out they lost too, and I didn't see it coming. I thought they'd go to Miami and, and uh, you know, win the game actually. But uh, you're right. I mean, is it harder to take a closer loss than it is a blowout? I don't know. I, I still think Notre Dame is a a very good team and maybe losing, you know, I would love to see like a Penn state and Notre Dame in a bowl game. And I think there's been some talk about that uh, in state college, that that could happen, that those two teams maybe uh, could meet in a bowl game. And that'd be a terrific matchup. I'd love to see Penn state. It would be. Yeah. 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 But I, you know, then you have Navy. I mean, you just have to look what's ahead here. I mean, Notre Dame still has a pretty tough finish here with some of these games they have coming up, but, and, and Navy's no slouch for sure. It's always tough to stop that triple option attack. Or, or, you know, whatever option. I guess that's the Army that uses that. But, uh, you know, the Navy offense can move the football, and it's a good test for uh, Notre Dame to see how they bounce back. I think they will, but, you know, maybe that's kind of the fan in me saying that. But uh, but I, I think they can beat Navy. It won't, you know, Navy's pretty tough, and it'll be a good challenge. But I think Notre Dame will find a way to win, I, I hope. Uh, Mo, what is Vegas saying about uh, the, the loss last week? Certainly, I, I think uh, – I mean, it's just somebody either lost a lot of money last week or won a lot of money last week. And then you look at this week, how's Vegas uh, reacting to the loss to Notre Dame? Because let's, let's, let's be real here. Vegas is a, a huge lover of Notre Dame football. Uh, that had to be a shocker, if you will. So now how have they adjusted for this week's game against Navy? Well, you know, it, it's always uh... – it's always weird. Rick said that Notre Dame fans always want more, and Miami gave them more, lots more last week when they put on all those points. Uh, but, you know, they, uh, you know it, the Vegas reacts a lot of times in, in weird ways. Uh, if you're betting this week against Navy, it's actually probably helpful because the point spread uh, did go down some. Uh, so we saw another reaction after, uh, after Ohio State's loss to uh, Iowa on, on both teams. So, there's always some reaction there, and if you're betting a game where they play a lesser opponent, it does tend to help because when the point spread uh, tends to be lower for you that next week. Well, guys, let's uh, let's get into some of these other games of the week, if you will, games that may have meaning, and let's talk about the Final Four as we see it today. Alabama, uh, Georgia, I believe Oklahoma State, and I don't have my list with me. Go ahead, Rick. It's uh, Bama, Miami, Clemson, Oklahoma is the top four. Clemson was the one that wasn't coming to mind. So, uh, talk about (laughs) the final four. What are your thoughts, sir? Yeah, real quick, what I was going to say, because we saw Georgia get blown out last week, too, against Auburn. It's just it speaks volumes about how tough it is to win on the road in college, especially go to Miami, what they've done to that. uh, I remember it's Joe Robbie Stadium. It's called Hard, Hard Rock Stadium or whatever it is now. They put the half roof over it made it really loud in there, you know, and then you get a crowd like that, it's all jacked up on Mountain Dew, and the team like Notre Dame comes in. That's just a tough environment to play, just how hard it is to, to win on the road in college. And uh, my thoughts on the top four is it's starting to, to settle out now to where it, things look right with the, uh, it, with the top four. It's a TV show every week. So they're going to put whatever top four teams in there. Sort of. <laughs> You know, garner the attention, like Notre Dame, putting them in there and everybody, love them or hate them. But it gets the reaction. Uh, I, I think we're going to see things start to settle out because it's only like two or three more polls that can come out now. But 
uh, we'll see what Miami's really made of. Uh, you know, Clemson and Miami are going to play for the ACC championship game. So if things still keep going on track, they're going right now. So we'll see. I mean, there's still some a lot of football to be played still. So, uh, Mo, we'll give the uh, final thought to you, uh, the, the final four, if you will, as we see it now in the college football playoffs, and then we'll get into uh, these NFL games uh, with the panel, and certainly uh, you can tell us where to uh, put our money or not to put our money, uh, and we'll do better against the spread on NFL style this week. But go ahead, uh, your uh, thoughts on the final four as we see it, Alabama, Georgia, Clemson, and Oklahoma State, sir. As we point out, I still don't care because all it is right now is people continuing to bitch about it until uh, the, the final one. So, I mean, right now, it honestly, it still doesn't matter. Uh, so, I, I don't care. Uh, you know, everybody wants to make their case of why this team is getting screwed this. But when you're football games, and then things will shake out how they're supposed to. So, it's still – I hate the, the way that it, it's built up just for the television audience right now. So, honestly, it, to me, it means nothing. It's like NBA before, before Christmas. It means nothing. <laughs> and, and we still keep talking about the NBA in uh, November. Uh, Ed Crafts, let's get into some of these, in, our official NFL contributor and uh, beat writer for the Philadelphia Eagles <coughs> uh, for USA Today. Let's get into some of these games. Obviously, we've already talked about Thursday's game. We go, we go into uh, week 11, and we're going to kind of play bet against the spread um, uh, NFL style, if you will. you got the Ravens at the Packers tomorrow at 1 o'clock. Uh, the Ravens, uh, I, I, I believe the spread is two on that, uh, over under 38. What are your thoughts, the Ravens and the Packers? Uh, well, the Ravens are, are, are vertically challenged. Their passing game uh, with Joe Flacco, I think, is dead last in the league. So uh, they're hard-pressed to move the ball through the air. I don't know who's getting the points here. Um, you know, it's in Green Bay, and, you know, we saw Brett Huntley take a few steps forward last week in, in a win, and they kind of prove now that they can win without Aaron Rodgers. So, uh, like I said, I don't know who's getting the points, but I, I think, you know, Green Bay at home coming off some confidence last week in a win, uh, I think is going to win that game. Mo, what are your thoughts uh, on uh, bet against the spread NFL style? Ravens at the Packers. Well, the Ravens are given two points on the road, and it's it's so strange to see the Packers uh, home underdogs. But obviously, Aaron Rodgers probably makes that that's the possibility. Baltimore has been so up and down this year. We, we see them play a great football game, and we see them go to London and land egg like that. Uh, you know, same with Green Bay. I talked about them, you know, picking up conference from last week. I think that's probably the case. Uh, it, it's so hard to bet against Green Bay at home as underdogs. So I'll take Green Bay and give me points at home. Uh, Rick, what are your thoughts, sir? Well, as a Lions fan, I just always root for the Packers to lose. Uh, now that Aaron Rodgers is uh, out, it, you'd think it'd be Matt Stafford's division, but now I just want the Packers to lose and the Lions start trying to reel in the Vikings because the Vikings have a two-game lead right now in that division. So uh, I need the Packers to lose here. Well, let's uh, go into that since you brought up your Detroit Lions. They are at the Bears. Uh, they over under 41 uh, Lions, uh, the spread Lions uh, three. Mo? Well, you know, the Bears uh, disappointed me last week. I took them, gave the points because Green Bay had done nothing uh, with Brett Hundley. And, and so since they uh, decided to be terrible last week, I'm going to take the Lions this week and give, uh, give them three points. I'm taking the Lions over the Bears at home, hoping they lay another egg. 
Ed, what is your thoughts on the Lions and the Bears? Well, you know, again, a dome team going outside in the cold weather. I thought that would affect the Saints last week in Buffalo. And boy, was I wrong about that. I thought Buffalo would play a better game uh, in, in their cold weather city than, you know, New Orleans coming from an indoor uh, stadium. And I, I just feel the Lions going outdoors again are going to have a hard time. I know they struggled in Chicago last year. And uh, I know Matt Stafford's been kind of red hot these last uh uh, three or four games. He's uh, thrown some touchdowns. He's thrown for about 350 a game. Uh, but this Bears defense, especially at secondary, I think is one of the top 10 in the league in defending the pass. So it's going to be a hard game for the Lions. I would take, you know, I would pick the Bears uh, uh, probably to win this game. I hate to say that, Rick, but so we move- the Bears find a way to win. <laughs> That's all right. <laughs> <laughs> so we move on to uh, my prom date, if you will, for the Super Bowl. And, I, you know, they say dance with who you brought to the prom, so I'm going to stick with them. They've kind of had some hiccups. But the Kansas City Chiefs at the Giants, the Giants certainly are not the team that we thought they were going to be at the beginning of the year. And Kansas City, uh, I know a lot of people like to believe that it will come down to New England and Pittsburgh, especially after what we saw Thursday with Pittsburgh uh, in the AFC Championship game. I still think it's going to be New England and Kansas City. City or uh, in the AFC championship game, possibly. Uh, but uh, certainly I got Kansas City going to the Super Bowl. So I got to like this matchup against the Giants. We'll start with you, Mo. Uh, the, the Chiefs have the, the points at 11. Uh, the spread is 11 over under 46 and a half. Uh, Chiefs at the Giants, Mo. You know, you would figure that sooner or later the Giants, they still have too many good players and they would pull their heads out of their asses. But it a lot of guys seem to have quit, and I hate to use that word in the NFL, but a lot of guys seem to have just given up. Here's the problem, though, when it comes to a game like this. Double-digit point spreads in the NFL are, are so hard to predict. They're uncommon. We do see blowouts at times, obviously, but it's such a, a hard place to put your money, even with a terrible team like the Giants. So when it comes to double-digit point spreads, I very rarely take one. The last one I played, I think, was uh, was it week one with the Texans and, uh, and New England, or week two, whatever it was just because New England's defense was – or Houston's defense was so good. So, no one with double-digit point spread, I tend to try to stay away from uh, in the NFL. So, this is a game that I probably wouldn't play. It's obviously, I think it's going to be Kansas City's game, uh, and they probably do win by more than 10, but it's, just, it's one I'd never try to put my money on. Uh, Ed, uh, Chiefs at the Giants, sir. Well, the Giants have quit. You know, I mean, you, you hate to say it, but you, you watch the effort they're giving with uh, – McAdoo is the coach. I think McAdoo will be one of those coaches let go once the season ends, and uh, that team has just kind of mailed it in. They hate to say it. And on the other side, Andy Reid coming out of a bye. Uh, I saw it here in Philadelphia. He's very good coming out of bye. He's out of a bye week. He's 16-2 and two, uh, in his career coming out of a bye. This is a coming out of the bye situation. You know, I agree with Mo. It's a big point spread, but if I had to pick a game or, uh, you know, a winner here, I'd give up the 11 and I'd take the Chiefs. All right, Rick, uh, Chiefs and the Giants, what say you, sir? Yeah, I'm with Mo and Ed here. My only concern with the Chiefs is, you know, it, their passing game isn't really all that threatening but with Alex Smith, and then teams have kind of catered their defenses to contain Kareem Hunt. So, you know, we, we've seen that the Chiefs team now isn't the same one that started the year. Uh, so that's my only uh, concern with, 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 the, with the Chiefs right now. Uh 
So let's let's uh, go on down here to what I think is going to be a really good matchup. And with the Colts being on a bye, it's going to be the game that I'm going to have my eyes on, and that's the Redskins at the Saints. I like both of these teams this this year. They both have shown a great improvement, and you really got to like Drew Brees and the Saints uh, whenever they play. Uh, and the Saints have the spread of eight against the Redskins. But I saw a lot of uh, energy with the Washington Redskins. What are your thoughts, Mo? Well, you know, I, I took the Redskins last week uh, in Buffalo, uh, and, and it panned out. And, you know, again, like we talked about last week, a lot of talk was made early on in the year and last year about the, the defense, and they've shown up, and, and New Orleans continues to get turnovers. They they uh, don't uh, they don't suffer field goals a lot of times in the red zone. They're scoring touchdowns, which is what you want to see. Uh, you know, Drew Brees having another phenomenal year. I like this New Orleans team still. I, I, even though Washington looks improved, they're continuing to run the ball decently. I just think, especially at home, New Orleans just walks all over Washington. I, I took New Orleans and gave the points. Uh, Ed, what are your thoughts on the Saints and the Redskins? Yeah, the Saints have really surprised me. I knew their defense was young coming into the season, and that was one of the things I thought they had to uh, kind of overcome. And it seems like they're getting uh, better each week uh, with that defense. In fact, the Saints are just one of six teams who are ranked in the top ten in both offense and defense in the league. Uh, you know, the other five are, are very good teams who could be in the playoffs too. The Falcons, the Jaguars, uh, the Vikings, the Eagles, and the Steelers. There are the six teams that are ranked in the top ten in offense and defense. And You know, to me, the Saints playing at home, uh, eight's a big number because I think Washington's been fairly competitive uh, in a lot of their games. You know, I know Philadelphia kind of put it to them a couple weeks ago when the Redskins came to Philly. But, uh, you know, I could see the Saints covering that spread and, and uh, winning this game for sure. Uh, Rick. Yeah, you know, the uh, biggest surprise to me is the Saints this year also because their defense is really playing well. Like Mo said, getting a lot of turnovers. Drew Brees still a quarterback. He's going to play until he's 60. So uh, it's the Saints here and a strong favorite for the uh, the NFC championship game also. So uh, we got just a couple minutes left here before we bounce into our – we lose our stream and we bounce into our – uh, balance extra for a few minutes, where we just kind of uh, are on on the on the line, uh, and uh, certainly not over our, our, our affiliate radio stations, which means we can maybe go into more detail about Cards Against Humanity. But uh, certainly, if you lose us on the stream, pick us uh, pick us up on our uh, podcast version, if you will, which our podcast version is our show. Unlike a lot of shows, they just edit out what they want to put in a podcast. Our podcast is the show. So uh, if you miss any or all of it, all you got to do is go to iTunes or tune in or wherever you get your podcast and just search the balance. We're pretty easy uh, to uh, find. Uh, so uh, last game, if you will, let's talk about uh, uh, Sunday night's game. Ed, we'll start with, with you on Sunday night, uh, the, the late game. I, I, I'm just... <sighs> I lost I lost my notes here. I apologize, but uh, it's you guys. That's right. Duh, we just talked about that. Uh, let's go into more detail about the Eagles at the Cowboys, and the Eagles obviously have a, a four and a half point spread on that. So the the final uh, bet against the spread, if you will, are the Eagles at the Cowboys, with the Eagles having the points. Yeah, I mean, I could talk for an hour on this game, just you know, because I do cover the Eagles. Uh, <clears throat> so you know, I, I'll. I'll, I'll spare you that, but uh, yeah, I, you know, I think it's a, it's a it's a pretty big line. I mean, I know the Eagles, 
you know, they're on a roll. They've scored 20 or more points in uh, 14 straight games, which is the longest streak in the NFL. They're going to do it again this week, without a doubt. Uh, I'm not sure if the Cowboys can match the Eagles point for point. I don't think they can. You know, obviously they're missing Elliott. That's a whole different team. We saw that last week. But, you know, look, they're a desperate team. And, you know, I would probably take, you know, I would probably take the Cowboys and take the points in this game just because I think of the desperation factor, the fact that they're at home, the fact they want to show that they're, weren't, they weren't as bad as they looked in Atlanta last week. Um, I think the Eagles will win the game, but I, you know, we could see an overtime game here, uh, you know, with maybe the Eagles winning by a field goal. I, I just think the Cowboys are going to find a way, even though I think the Eagles are the better team and they'll still win the NFC East if they were to lose on Sunday night. Uh, I just think that the Cowboys want to show that they're a better team than they showed last week. And I think Dak Prescott uh, wants to prove that, you know, he is every bit as good as Carson Wentz. I think Carson Wentz has got a lot of publicity this year for, for rightfully so. But, you know, remember Dak was the rookie of the year last year. And I think he wants to show people why. And I think they're just going to make it a tough game for Philly. So I would probably take Dallas in the points in this game. Uh, Rick, what are your thoughts? Uh, the Eagles at Dallas. Uh, I can't possibly break this down any better than Ed, so uh, <laughs> we'll just go with that on this one. But the, the Eagles look really impressive to me, so uh, I, I agree. That's all I'll say. <laughs> yeah, what he said, what that what that guy said. Uh, Mo, thoughts on uh, the the Eagles in Dallas? Well, the point spread has moved a little bit this morning. Uh, it went from uh, the Eagles giving five points to giving four and a half. Uh, you know, I mean, a lot could be argued that uh, that maybe Ezekiel Elliott's the most valuable player, but I would argue that Sean Lee, uh, when healthy, is their most valuable player. You know, uh, we talked about the uh, the amount of rushing yards, the differential. Uh, you know, and, and with the running backs that, that Philadelphia has, there's no reason that they can't run all over uh, this Dallas defense. I don't know where this team is because not only are you dealing with the Ezekiel Elliott, you're dealing with uh, with your owner and, and a, a standoff against the NFL and Roger Goodell, uh, and then the uh, the old uh, video yesterday was released of the uh, the racist remarks of Jerry Jones, which remember is what was started to be the downfall for Donald Stern losing his franchise in the NBA. It was once those uh, video of those racist remarks came out, that was the uh, downfall of uh, of Donald Sterling in the NBA. So uh, you know, just kind of remember that if we're talking about Jerry Jones losing his franchise a year or two from now. That could have been with the start of these, this downfall is you, you go head-to-head with the monster, and sometimes, you know, things start to come up. Uh, but in the game, I mean, I, I like Philadelphia way too much. I, I think some, you know, the returning of, uh, of some help at cornerback is going to be huge for Philadelphia. Uh, the Eagles looked like a mess last week, uh, and even though they make some adjustments to their offensive line, I think it's still a mess. Uh, I'm going to take Philadelphia. I'm going to take the points, and I'm also going to take the under on the 48-and-a-half. Well, somebody's phone was just ringing, so my guess is it was uh, Jerry Jones calling you and telling you, hey, this is Jerry Jones calling you. If he thinks what Bob Kraft said to him was anything yesterday, he's a – That's right. Uh, all right, guys, uh, we're, we're bouncing into Balance Extra. We'll spend a few minutes here on, on just a random topic. And I thought a random topic today because we are uh, talking, uh, getting closer to a uh, bowl talk. And, you know, Sports Illustrated uh, had a uh, 
an article up uh, yesterday or the day before on their bowl predictions for 2018. Obviously, there's a lot of bowls. We're not going to go through all of them. But I thought we'd pick a few uh, random ones that we think will be, that will be played on New Year's Day and talk about who Sports Illustrated says will be in that game and maybe get the thoughts on that. So we'll start with you, Rick, because the first one we got is the Goodyear Cotton Bowl Classic in Arlington, Texas, on December the 29th. And they've got Notre Dame there playing Auburn. Thoughts? Uh, that would be a cool matchup uh, with, with the Cotton Bowl. But what Ed brought up with Penn State, uh, that's a really sexy matchup, Notre Dame-Penn State. That's probably more sexy than anything the uh, the, the playoff can come up with, I think. You know, as far as nostalgia, just the two traditional powerhouse teams, Blue Bloods of college football, uh, Notre Dame-Auburn would be cool. But i like to see uh, Notre Dame-Penn State. Ed sold me on Penn State. So i like to see uh, the Irish play Penn, uh, Penn State. Either one of those would be a good matchup, but I agree with you. I think uh, a Penn State-Notre Dame game would be uh, one for the ratings, that's for sure. Uh, Mo, what are your thoughts? Uh, Goodyear Cotton Bowl Classic in Arlington, Texas, Auburn uh, versus Notre Dame, and this is uh, Sports Illustrated's thoughts, not necessarily mine, but go ahead. Well, other than the, other than the, uh, the top four, I think bowls are going to become less and less interesting, A, because there's too many, but B, I think we see more and more players who are getting ready to go to the NFL draft sit out uh, to not injure themselves and hurt their draft stock. So I think that's what's going to make a lot of these bowls less interesting. Uh, I, I don't know about the matchup with uh, Auburn and Notre Dame. I, I'm not counting Auburn out when it comes to being one of those final four teams, especially if they knock off Alabama in the Iron Bowl. So I, I don't – it would be maybe a cool matchup, but I'm not counting Auburn out when it comes to uh, being one of those final four teams playing. And what are your thoughts uh, there, Auburn versus Notre Dame, uh, Ed, at uh... – the uh, Cotton Bowl. Yeah, Auburn. You know, I, Auburn doesn't really excite me for some reason. I, I don't know why. I just I, I, I find myself I, I don't have a lot of juice for Auburn. Uh, I don't know if I'd particularly watch that game, but I, I might. I mean, because it has Notre Dame in it. Uh, and like Mo said, maybe Auburn's still in the hunt for one of these Final Four spots. I don't know, but uh, I, I would prefer a different matchup to be honest. Anybody that doesn't have Auburn uh, would be fine with me. Well. Uh... Sports Illustrated does have Penn State playing on New Year's Day, <clears throat> but against Mississippi State in the Citrus Bowl down in Orlando. What are your thoughts about that matchup? Yeah, you know, another school, Mississippi State, doesn't give me a lot of juice. Although <laughs> Fletcher Cox went, went to school there, the Eagles defensive lineman, you know, one of the uh, one of the premier defensive uh, the tackles in the league. So uh, I think he'd be jazzed about that. But, again, I'd like to see uh, someone with a little more uh, uh, juice than Mississippi State. Well, here's some juice for you, Mo. Chick-fil-A Peach Bowl in Atlanta uh, on New Year's Day. U.S. I'm sorry, UCF versus Ohio State. Thoughts? Oh wow. Um, I mean, up here, obviously, uh, Ohio State is uh, is huge in the Midwest, and and their fans are some of the most obnoxious there are around. Uh, you know, the one good thing about it is that New Year's Day is on Monday, so uh, actually Chick-fil-A at uh, the Mercedes-Benz Dome can be open. Uh, so that's a plus. Uh, you know, Ohio State, I think, would be a, a sexier matchup uh, with Notre Dame or Penn State. I agree with that. A lot of these other ran SEC teams uh, play very boring football, and, and I think that's because they have to in order to try to compete uh, and stay close to teams like Auburn and Georgia. But there's a lot of, of not sexy matchups when it comes to that. So I'd rather see – uh, you know, Ohio State play another high-flying offense. You know, watching them play Penn State, uh, again, wouldn't, wouldn't make me sad. So, uh, 
Ohio State against UCF, not uh, not too exciting. Plus, it doesn't play well nationally. You know, Ohio State's a big national team. I don't think that plays well as in you know maybe the ass kicking they put on UCF. So, I would put uh, I would put them against a, a more fun, a more nationally followed team. You know, I, I was curious about this matchup with uh, Sports Illustrated, and I really don't know how they got there. Um, I, I don't know how they got there, and I, maybe you guys can help me. We'll start with you, Ed. They've got the, the All-State Sugar Bowl, New Orleans, on January 1st, 8.45 p.m. on ESPN. The CFP semifinalists versus the CFP semifinalists. Alabama versus Wisconsin. I, I'm not really – that doesn't make any sense to me. Go ahead, Ed. Boy, I hope Sports Illustrated is dead wrong on these first four games we talked about. I really do. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, another Big Ten school coming in that, you know, won a, an inferior division in the Big Ten. Uh, it really doesn't do anything for me. Alabama is going to steamroll that Wisconsin team. Um, you know, that that that's not exciting. I'd rather see another team get in there at, you know, maybe in Miami, maybe they have Miami listed as one of the two or, you know, the number two or three seed. But, you know, I'd rather see in Miami play Alabama than a, a team like Wisconsin. I mean, I, I'm not sure the Big Ten really even deserves a team this year. I know they all beat each other up in the uh, Eastern Division of that uh, Big Ten conference, but I, I'm not sure the Big Ten's worthy of, of having a top four spot uh, in, in the playoff. It doesn't mean that they don't deserve to go to some other bowls on New Year's Eve, on New Year's Day, but uh, I, I don't like that matchup at all for a one versus a four. Yeah, I, yeah, I'm not either. I'm not excited about that either. Rick, what are your thoughts, Alabama versus Wisconsin in the Sugar Bowl? So they're just trying to predict that Wisconsin is going to win out and win the Big Ten championship and then get into that fourth spot to play against Alabama. But, yeah, it's right. Uh, Bama will just uh, steamroll uh, the Wisconsin team like that because they have no passing attack. They they all just rely on I think the running back's name is Jonathan Taylor. Uh, so they they rely on the on the running game, which is what you expect from Wisconsin with Ron Day and all the uh, great running backs they've had. So, but that would not hold up against Alabama. Mo, what are your thoughts on this uh, crazy matchup, Alabama versus Wisconsin? Well, I mean, here's the reason I would hate that. Uh, I would hate that matchup is because. Uh, Wisconsin's quarterback it is uh, uh, very turnover-prone. We saw the only points Iowa scored last week was off two pick-sixes. I think that will even be a big thing today in the game with Michigan uh, and, and Wisconsin. Michigan's young quarterback doesn't really turn the ball over, takes care of it, and Wisconsin's quarterback doesn't. So uh, when it comes to playing a team like Alabama, it would be uh, probably a massacre. So uh, it, it seems like evidently anybody can like sports Illustrated nowadays because these have been horrible. Well, we all are in Big Ten country, so let's talk about the Big Ten championship, and then we'll talk about one more bowl game, and we'll call uh, call it a day. Uh, but uh, certainly here's scenarios uh, for the Big Ten championship. Uh, Wisconsin, Ohio State, Ohio State, Penn State, Wisconsin, Penn State, Wisconsin, Ohio State, Penn State, Ohio State. We'll start with you, uh, Ed. What, who do you think is going to be in the Big Ten championship game, and who's going to win it? And if Penn State uh, is in the championship game, that means you're coming back to Indianapolis again, right? Am I correct on that? Go ahead, sir. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll see about that. Um, but to me, it's it probably has to be Ohio State, right? I mean, they've beaten actually, they play Michigan. Actually, the, I, I, I take that back. The, the Big Ten championship game is not here. Is it here in Indianapolis this year? 
It used to be. Uh, I think it bounces back and forth. Yeah, I think it might be Chicago. Oh, <laughs> uh, 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 well, go ahead. I'm sorry, Ed. I have a habit of interrupting you. Go ahead, buddy. That's <laughs> okay. <laughs> You're like my wife. Uh, no, I, think, um, <laughs> I, I think Ohio State has to be the team, right? I mean, they've beaten Penn State. They throttled Michigan State. I know Iowa beat them. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. I, I think Ohio State is probably proven to be the better team. I mean, I know they beat Penn State by a point, and Penn State kind of gave that up. But, um, to me, they're they're probably the team that you have to look at. I mean, as a fan, I'd like to see Penn State. You know, I like watching Saquon Barkley, but I also like watching JT Barrett uh, play quarterback for Ohio State. So, I don't know. I, I guess it probably would have to be Ohio State. But then maybe you're setting yourself up for another Ohio State-Alabama one versus four game, and we all saw how that turned out last year. So it's hard to root for Ohio State to to win that thing because then they may end up as the four seed in the in the in the final four. So Rick, what, who do you think is going to be in the Big Ten championship game? Well, I'm with that. It's going to be Ohio State, and that's the the best thing or the worst thing for the Big Ten, uh, depending how you want to look at it. Because before that game last week against Michigan State, it was shaped up to be Michigan State versus Wisconsin. In the championship game, but you know, like Ed said, you know they got throttled. Uh, Ohio State beat the hell out of them, basically. So, but if Ohio State gets in and, and beats Wisconsin in the Big Ten championship game, I'm going to say the Big Ten gets no teams in the top four because I don't think they're ready to put a two-loss Ohio State in as a four team, as as a as, as the number four seed. So, uh, it's the best thing or worst thing to happen to the Big Ten because if we're not sold on Wisconsin, we don't think they belong in the uh, top four. Then they got to play against Ohio State to prove that. So if Ohio State wins, I think the Big Ten is knocked out completely. Well, Mo, and by the way, uh, the championship game is at Lucas Oil, so it is here in Indianapolis. Mo, who do you think is going to be in the Big Ten championship game? Well, I mean, it's probably Wisconsin, Ohio State, but as we saw a few years ago, it was uh, Wisconsin's uh, bowl berth that he had, and they laid a huge egg, and, and Ohio State snuck in and won the national championship. Uh, best case scenario is that Lucas Oil State implodes in the Big Ten since nobody. That's best case. Well, let's uh, get you the final uh, game that we'll talk about, and that's the college football playoff national championship down in Atlanta, January 8th. I think a lot of people think that it's going to be Georgia-Alabama. I really would hope it's not Alabama. I kind of would like to see, uh, you know, after what I saw last week with Miami uh, against Notre Dame, that was a good team. I don't know if they're they're good enough to get to the championship game. But I think, honestly, a Georgia-Oklahoma matchup maybe, uh, I'm not sure. But when we we look at the the, uh, championship game, we'll start with you, Mo. Who do you think logically who it's going to be and who you think logically is going to be the NCAA football champion? Well, you know, I think that uh, the SEC sends one team, and probably I'm hoping to get the ACC championship uh, with Clemson Miami is close enough that they send two. Uh, you know, man, it's, I don't want to. I don't want to see. I don't want to see Clemson and uh, and and uh, Alabama again, uh, unless you know, without Deshaun Watson, doesn't sound uh, like a good matchup. No, I, I do like to see Oklahoma play. Baker Mayfield's very exciting to watch. He's got spunk. He makes it exciting. Uh, I'd like to see him play. Uh, we've seen Georgia in the past. You know, it, they come so close and they fall apart. And even though Kirby Smart's a coach, it could very well be, uh, you know, a situation now where Georgia falls apart. Uh, I'm hoping uh, maybe like a, a, an Oklahoma, Miami, or 
you know, if it has to be Alabama, Oklahoma, Alabama. But I'm, I'm rooting for the Sooners this year. I love watching Baker Mayfield play. And, uh, you know, he, I think he might have solidified his stock to be the number one overall quarterback taken. So I'm hoping it's Oklahoma and somebody. Uh, Ed, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I, I agree with Mo. I, I, I would love to see Oklahoma do it. You know, I, I think as a fan, you know, I always root for teams that you haven't seen do it for a long time or win it for a long time. You know, years before Nick Saban went to Alabama, you know, the, the Tide was a downtrodden organization. They didn't win. And so I rooted for Alabama. Now that Alabama's at the top of the, the mountain, I want to see them lose. You know, I want to see someone else rise up. And, uh, you know, Oklahoma, Mo's right. I like uh, the way uh, – Baker uh, plays quarterback. Uh, I, he could win the Heisman. I know I've sang the praises of Saquon Barkley all year. Um, defenses have really done a good job kind of squeezing off Barkley, uh, you know, during that tough stretch Penn State went through. Um, so I think, you know, Mayfield could be the Heisman Trophy winner, and I would like to see Oklahoma because they've, you know, they've been down. They haven't been kind of in the national picture. I know they're, you know, a premier franchise and a, or college, I should say, but, you know, I, I know that, you know, they're one of the top, schools out there but I mean they have never won the national title that I can recall and it'd, it'd be nice to see someone different and, and and I like to see Baker Mayfield play quarterback too I think you're going to see it in the NFL next year uh the jury's kind of out on how he'll be in the NFL but the you know, guy's a winner you know the guy competes he loves the battle and you know and I like to root for guys like that uh Rick what are your thoughts on a foregone conclusion of the NCAA championship this year I'm with the other two, man. I, I really, I really like Oklahoma. I think they'd be fun to watch in a national championship game, and there's a lot more football to be had. Bama's still got to play Auburn in the Iron Bowl. I think Auburn can win that, and then Bama's got want to play Georgia in the SEC championship championship game. Uh, Georgia can win that. So two loss Alabama would be out of the top four. Uh, Georgia would probably find themselves back in, but I think for a championship game, uh, we, I don't want to see Clemson Alabama again for a third straight year. But I think Clemson-Oklahoma would be a lot of fun. I think that would be an exciting game to watch. So, uh, But I think we're all in agreement Oklahoma, and I just think Oklahoma and Clemson would be uh, exciting. So, uh, real quickly, uh, going ahead to Thanksgiving, uh, you can't not have Thanksgiving without football, beer, and food, and family. So I hope everybody has a great Thanksgiving. But, Ed, what are your thoughts on the Thanksgiving games? You know, I, I – to be honest, Tom, I don't even know who's playing on Thanksgiving. I haven't even looked really that far uh-huh. ahead. I know the Cowboys and Lions do uh, every year, but uh, other than that, I, I couldn't even tell you who they're playing or, or what the deal is. I, I'm just happy not to be traveling on Thanksgiving. I know the Eagles had back-to-back years in uh, Dallas and Detroit, and uh, boy, do I have some stories on those trips. But uh, you know, I was away from Thanksgiving <laughs> for back-to-back years, and uh, it was no fun. You know, so uh, but but I'll put on whatever game's on. I don't care who it is. I'll, I'll watch football and eat my turkey. Cause that's the thing to do on Thanksgiving. Uh, that's what you got to do. Uh, all right, guys. Here's what we're gonna do. This is all only for Ed's purposes of, of of education, because all of us, except for Ed, have played a game called Cards Against Humanity, and this all started earlier on in in the hour when Ed, Ed called in and. I was talking about it being a cold, wet, rainy day, and it's a good day to just sit and watch Netflix and chill. And then I realized what I had said, and then so Ed decided that he needed to educate me on what Netflix and chill was. And Ed goes, well, that must be an Indiana thing because I don't know what it is. So this all kind of spawned from there. And then, uh, we, as you know, Mo, we got into the Cards Against Humanity talk, and um, 
and did not know what that was. So here's the game of Cards Humanity. We'll spend just a minute or two. We'll play the balanced version of Cards Against Humanity. I'll just kind of give you an idea how it is. So you have a group of people. Like I played it last week, and there was about eight of us at a table. The more people you have that are drinking and are above 21 or adults, the more fun this game is going to be. However, uh you can play it with four, five, six people. I think you need you would like want to have an even number, but there's no teams. So you have you get dealt seven cards. On those cards are answer cards. Okay, they're the white cards, and they're they're answers on there. So you don't show anybody your answer cards. And then you go around the table, and the they, the there's the question answer or the moderator for that particular question. That particular person will draw a black card. Okay, so here is a an exa- a few examples. So, Ed, I have a black card question, and, and then everybody would play their cards, and it says, you have my sword, and you have my bow, and my, and so you would look at your cards and say, what is the best answer for this? Now, keep in mind that these answers are specifically written and designed in such a way to make you sound perverse or odd, no matter what your answer is, and then what happens is, Everybody lays down their answer cards, and the moderator gets to pick the best answer for that particular question. So in this particular scenario, the card that we have chosen, uh, you have my sword and you have my bow and my firm buttocks. Do you, do you get how it goes okay. down? So, so do I have to so, pick? Do I have to, no, that would just be the card the that I would have picked. Oh, okay. No, no, it, you, you would have the answer cards. We're not actually playing the game. I was just kind of giving you an example oh. of how the game goes. Oh, okay. So, okay. So here's another example. What helps Obama unwind? Well, the answer card to this particular scenario card would be important news about Taylor Swift. <laughs> so and then, and then there's other scenarios where you have two cards. So it says, my life is ruled by a vicious cycle of blank and blank. So the example given here of the cards that were picked for the answer were demotic possession and daddy issues. <laughs> so you can see how the game kind of gets, gets out, out of hand. Rick, what are your thoughts on cards against humanity? I love it, but like Mo said earlier, it brings you out your, your inner pervert. And, you know, some of these questions went around. I had to play cards I had available. And, uh, I had to give one answer, and I felt like a dirtbag for about two days after this answer I had to give. That's all I had available. But, you know, it gets really funny. It's one of the best times you'll have, really. Uh, you know, if you're into that that kind of humor, you know, you drink with buddies and just whatever. It's a great game. It's a good time. Mo, thoughts on cards against humanity. <laughs> uh, it's a good Thanksgiving tradition to start with your family. don't play it at the kids table though (laughs) you know Uh, i remember last 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 week the question one of the questions was when you get down like rick said and sometimes you just got to throw off a card so it it doesn't necessarily mean anything you just got to throw off a card and i remember like one of the things i had is when you come down to it it's just and then all i had was like uh, having a penis, for example, so I just threw that card down. So, or bags of money, or or whatever. It it really does bring out your inner perversion. So, and then so you I, know, like like one of 
like one of the questions will certainly get you in trouble. Uh, it's it's like white people are like, and then there's all kinds of answers for that question. So what you do is just contact your son and say, hey, uh, your mom wants Cards Against Humanity for Christmas, and what's his response to that? Okay. <laughs> Good digression. Yeah, he may already I, own it. I, I had to. He might already own it. He might already. He might say, yeah, he, "Give me a little dad. I'm Netflix and chilling. <laughs> I'm Netflix and chilling." That was great. I'm still, I'm still that a, was great. I'm still a Trivial Pursuit guy, though. I still have you know, Trivial Pursuit and Clue, and you know, those are my games. Oh yeah, awesome. <laughs> I love Trivial Pursuit. I, 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 I love. Uh, yeah. Hey Tom, I didn't oh, know this, but uh, Cards Cards Against Humanity is uh, invented by two guys from IU. I did not know that, but it did, does not surprise me. Didn't know if you knew that. We're a bunch, <laughs> bunch of we're a bunch of perverted. And and to think about it, it's right. real easy to laugh about it. It's real easy to laugh about it now, Ed, because we're all sober and you know. But if I guarantee you, if you had a group of of adults that were having adult beverages and it was getting later in the evening, the game gets a lot better. Trust me. And I and I won't even go. And I was I was I was G-rated with the questions. Uh, that there's some questions that are just well. As Mo said, will make you feel like you have to go take a shower a- afterwards. <laughs> All right, guys, we got we got to put a bow on it. Thanksgiving coming up. Uh, any final thoughts of words of wisdom? Uh, any uh, thing you want to uh, share upon us before we call it a day, Mo? Well, I would encourage you to check out my Twitter account at Mo Radio Show because you'll find a new sponsor for my show. I mentioned them a couple weeks ago when I found their website and tweeted out, and now they're a sponsor, and it's great for the holiday season. It's sendagift.com. You can send great holiday cards. You can send a bag of gifts to somebody. It's a very fun website, so check it out, sendagift.com. Have you got? Have you secured us all a, a trader's grill yet? Oh, you guys, you guys are getting, you guys are getting Christmas cards that you'll love, I'm sure, from me. <laughs> great. Uh, and uh, final words of wisdom for us, sir. And where can people find oh, you? Oh no! Check out. Yeah. Just- Check me out on Twitter at Kratzy.com, uh, K-R-A-C-Z. I hope everybody has a very happy Thanksgiving. Be safe. And uh, I hope you win at Cards Against Humanity. I hope all your games are winners. <laughs> <laughs> Rick, any final thoughts of words or wisdom, sir? Yeah, just a uh, happy Thanksgiving, everybody. You know, I guess we're not going to talk again until uh, next Saturday. So, you know, it's been a fun football season, everything up to this point. I really enjoy coming on every Saturday. And I guess I'm thankful for it's Thanksgiving season. So, thank you guys, and uh, have a happy Thanksgiving. Absolutely, guys. I appreciate you joining on, joining us, and certainly you guys add a lot of class uh, to our show. <laughs> Typically, uh, we, we don't get off the rails too far, but every now and then uh, we, we do. Uh, make sure that you guys uh, download our podcast, and when you do that, hit subscribe, uh, if you will. And uh, that helps us uh, be uh, a better show uh, for you. Or tune in, if you will, and share it with all your friends and social media as well. Yeah, everybody have a great Thanksgiving. And, and you know, Mo is right. It, it is a good opportunity uh, to play with your family cards against humanity. You know, uh, we have a lot of fun, but uh, we certainly enjoy, and I'm very thankful to have you as my listeners and this show and everybody that's involved with it and that it helps us put it all together every single week. My hat's off to you, and happy Thanksgiving. To you and everybody, enjoy your your holiday. We'll be back next week right here on the Balance Radio Network. My name is Tom Mark Wassell, Presidente. Don't drink a drive. It isn't cool. I'm out of here. Deuces.
Join us next week for The Balance. In the meantime, check us out on Twitter, T-Balance, or Facebook, The Balance, or online at www.thebalanceonline.com.